This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Ross with Longley Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. It's pre-recorded. It's not like live or anything. You know how this works. You do this. You're familiar. Rob's a pro, pro, professional. Exactly. <laughs> I don't have to explain none of this. Nope. That's right. You good? But we're here. It's Thursday. Uh, this is episode 196 of the Herpeticulture Damn. Podcast, part of the Herpeticulture Network, which is brought to you by Fulvius Apparel. FulviusApparel.com. Check it out. Facebook, Instagram. Go grab yourself a hat. Grab yourself a shirt. Maybe not a hat because I got to adjust the hats on the website still. But a shirt <laughs> for sure. Um, Maybe not a hat. I'm going to tonight. I'm going to add. So just for people that listen to the podcast, because if you're listening to this, then you'll hear it and you'll know it. It's not going to be like a public thing. But if you use the code THN at checkout, I'm going to put a discount on there for, for network listeners. Hey. Um, I got to add that. I meant to do it t- today after I got home from work, but it's, you can ask Jake. I'm all over the place. Like I, I was like, yeah, we started at eight 30 and Jake's like, why are we starting later than normal? I was like, what are you talking about? We always started at eight 30. I said, no, we don't. I said, shit, really? <laughs> we haven't started at eight. We haven't started at eight 30 since we stopped starting at nine. We uh, yeah, at I don't nine, know, man. We changed was... it to eight and it's been eight for like the last year. I think I just struggle because like with the time zones and stuff with Chris, when we do corn stars and stuff, it's, yeah, because y'all start got me early, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we start snakes and stogies late, so this one I'm just like, yeah. I guess we'll start now. So I, I'm an earlier the better kind of guy, because my ass got to be up real early. So. <laughs> no. Not when you're taking naps. <laughs> yeah, I, I take I take nap I I took a nap for the first time today for the first time in a while. I don't nap. Like, because I can't. It just ruins my whole day. But I was so tired. And I was like, told me, you, man, that 20 minutes, that's the, that's the sweet bit. spot. 20 minutes yeah. is all you need. Scientifically, 20 minutes just, is it. It still always just screws me up, man. Like, it just gets me all wonky. Like, I can't. I don't like napping. You know, I wake up at 530 every morning. I try to wake up at 530. Usually it's not till six. But luckily, I live like all of less than five minutes from work. So I got <laughs> clock in at 630. So if I leave my house at 625, we're good. Gucci. Cutting it a little close there, guy. Hey, I can if you're on time, you're late. If you're early, can, you're on time. <laughs> I can technically clock in at 636 and not be late on the clock. So seven okay. minutes before, seven minutes after. It's that county life, baby. I'm like, at, at a minimum, I'm 30 minutes early to work every day. You're just giving them like your I, time. If, I, if I'm there you at quarter, if I'm there nine. At, right? So. But if I'm there at like quarter till nine, I feel like I'm running behind. Like I don't know, man. <laughs> like Katie, it drives yeah. Katie crazy because like it's like seven forty-five and I'm leaving the house because I'm like I gotta go to work. I gotta like get a jump start on things. I like to be able to get a head start on stuff, not be distracted. Like I can just like I won't even worry about emails. I'll just get there and start printing. Get putting, in, out. putting in that OT, baby. Even. That's right. But 
when I want to leave early or something, it's like everyone's already like, it's no big deal because Justin's here early every day. And I tell my coworkers, like, if I'm late and you have not heard from me, something is severely wrong because I have not <laughs> been late a day since I started. Like, I don't yeah. call out. I don't, I'm not late unless something catastrophic <sighs> has happened. Like, if you don't hear from me and I'm not there, yeah. call the police because something is wrong. Like, <laughs> something horribly wrong. I'm dead in the you ditch somewhere. I'm sure of you it. don't have the atheris or the pygmies yet. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's something inconsequential, you know, that's right. Let me save the police some trouble. My wife did it. <laughs> well, something you definitely want to leave your house early for is when you order your cage. Black box cages from blackboxcage.com. Oh, fellow, baby. fellow black box. That's right. That's that, right. Well, yeah. Yeah. We are family. Rob knows. We are. Oh, family. I know all about it. We are one. Black box kingdom is right here. Join our cult. That's, yeah. <laughs> you, you got to. You know, this. Me and Justin just made the, just made the trek this last weekend to go get our stuff. Uh, we got some awesome material that is currently sitting in my living room. Cause I have, you haven't even set yours up yet. No man. Cause I got six snakes to still get out of here. And then I got to redo the whole room and I can't redo uh, the whole room until those snakes are gone. Well, I can get in, I can get the cage put them in temporary tubs. Yeah. For get, real. I can get, well, see, that's the thing. If I, I that involves buying more $20 tubs. How big of a tub do you need? I've got tubs. As long as I can get them back before brumation time. I've got, I've got 32 quarts. Eh. These are not 32 quart tub snakes. Well, then you're on so, your own. I know I'm on my own. I can get the two. I can get the two cages set up because I got the I got the XT4 bio. Um, that's the four by two mm. by two. That one I can set up in here because I can just throw my other four by two by twos on top of it. And then I got the X. T three, I think it was, which it's a three by eighteen. Yeah, because you got the XT three and I got the XA three. Yeah, I got the XT three by eighteen by eighteen, but it's got a divider in it, um, so it's gonna be like a grow out rat snake display. Mm. Um, so super excited about those. I can put two cages in here. I just haven't done it yet because I'm busy. Um, but the rack is gonna have to wait because I also got the XR fifty five which holds the ARS 55 series tubs. Got the tubs in, got the rack here, ready to rock and roll. Just got to redo my whole freaking room first. So once, once <laughs> like that that's happens, a, that's a, that's a regular thing. Now when we go to black box, there's almost always a game of Tetris to be oh, played yeah. when you get home and oh, yeah. it's, it's sucks. Gotta happen. It's the worst plus part about I, it. Plus I need an extra pair of hands to move all this stuff around so it's awesome though we're definitely gonna do a video the rack i got has their new um heat tape system with all the safety features in it so it's like the upgraded version of the of the racks now yeah so we're gonna do a gonna do a little video on those and we just lost garage Yeah, yeah, I got the so I got the XR sixteen. I got a second second one of those, and then I got an XA three uh, bio for the female persinum, which eventually will house the pair of persinum. Um, my rack, the rack is already set up and ready to go. I somehow managed to get that up on the other rack, so I ended up stacking those racks. 
uh, and somehow managed to get it up there without throwing my back out um, while my child sat there and watched me struggle. And I tried to get her to help me. And she's like, it's too heavy. (laughs) But I did it. Because she was like, I'll help you. And I was like, go ahead and lift up one end. And she tried. She's like, oh, no, never mind. Yeah. I was no, like, if I fall key. and I can't get up, I'm going to need you to call 911 for me. <laughs> like, here's my phone because it's going to happen. But I got it. I got it up there. I got all the holes melted in the tubs because I add a lot of ventilation to those. Yeah. Which took me like two days. <laughs> I think like a total of like three or three or four hours of sitting there melting holes. Which I, I absolutely, that's like the one thing about this hobby that I will hate. I will pay a premium to get that done and not have to do it myself. If there's one thing I got I to gotta get bougie about, it's, it's ventilation holes and not having to deal with them. You know yeah. what I've seen some people do is uh, buy like five or six um, soldering, irons. soldering irons. Yep. And then uh, buy like, you know, a piece of wood and drill holes in it to like set them up. So all you got to do is like take the side of the tub, press it on and then flip it around, do it again. And that way you do five or six holes at a time. And it cuts your, your, uh, especially if you're doing like one size tub, a whole bunch of them save you like hours. (laughs) Yeah. I saw, so Clint with uh, Metazotics, he does, um, he has like, four or five, six of them in a row. And then he's got them pinched between two boards. Yeah. Like it's like two, two strips of board. He's got a pinch with clips on each end. I'm like, boy, that, <laughs> that needs to happen. Cause like my, my tubs are not lacking ventilation. That yeah. is one thing I take very, very seriously is heavy ventilation, especially in the enclosed racks. I really like the enclosed racks just because they're a lot more sturdy than, you know, your old, you know, the, the, uh, what they call them, the, something a little cheaper on the on the wallet, you know. Um, but they're not nearly as they move a lot. They're not sturdy. These black box rack, black box racks are just solid. They're very very mm-hmm. solid. Um, so, but you need to make a rack not... that holds critter keepers, like the long, the shallower critter keepers. Those are like <laughs> the ultimate in ventilation. Yeah. So I've got a million holes in all my stuff. So I definitely need to. Need to make something like that for the for see. That's the that's the problem. Is like I don't have to do it enough to really justify going that far with it. But when I get stuff that I have to do it, it's usually a lot. That's the thing. So like I, especially now, because I'm gonna try and change over some tubs to the Freedom Breeder styles because they have they have matching. They have the same size for Freedom Breeder as they do the. Um, God, I cannot think today. Visions. Vision. They have they have the same size freedom breeder for a vision. Except the freedom breeders have cup holders, and those I found out work really freaking well for my pits. Yep. <laughs> so some of my stuff's gonna get switched to that, and so I just updated a few. And I I tried the freedom breeder tubs with the with the rack from Black Box with the cup holders in it. And man, I haven't had a swamp cage in two weeks, and I'm like, let's fucking go. Like, <laughs> I, I'm about it i shifted everything that was going into that xr16 into that and then shifted everything that was in this small like homemade shoebox rack that i had that had a bunch of smaller stuff in it into the tubs that those snakes were in so i had to empty them out wipe them down clean them out refill them put the snakes in label maker all that stuff and so now i have this empty rack 
on top of the uh, the other rack from the company that I do not like. Um, Those who we do not speak of. <laughs> and now I have to like again. I have to figure out where this this persinum cage is going to go because I got to move the cube that the pair of rhinos are in and one of the bio G's that one of the small rhinos is in. Um, and it's just. You can stack those bio G's on top of the cage, man. Because you got, they're the same length and width. That's super high, though. Because if um, they're going on top of the Jansen eye, I'm going to need a damn ladder just to get up there and. You can't have out. your cake and eat it too, Smitty. I can. Uh, My weight says otherwise. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just saying, like, if you put the cage on the ground, you can stack those bio G's. I already told you how where, to do it. Where on I the ground you, am I going to put that? I already told you how to lay out your room. You didn't listen to me. Your logic is, it's not that simple. That Cambro rack is what the issue is. That's the root of all evil. <laughs> you get a bunch of bio Gs to replace those Cambro racks. And because of peanut oil. At, uh, I mean, that's, I think that might be the plan. Eventually, like, figure out something, because... It's just, it's a mess, but either way, I'm super excited to get this persinum cage together. Um, I'm going to get a video together of that as well, because I'm kind of, I'm kind of falling out a little more in com compared to other cages that I've done for that. Um, so I have this atrocity right here. Bum, it bum, looks bum. horrible, <laughs> but that's my bamboo plate thing. So the bottom of that's going to get covered with cypress and like substrate and stuff. And I'm supposed to make it look bamboo foresty. And I got a cool like pot that looks very, very Vietnamese forest ish. And uh, I'm gonna put some plants in there and some other stuff. So yeah. Matt most laughed at it when I showed him a picture. I was like, it'll make sense. <laughs> I was like, look, when you see it, it like right look, now, you gotta have like, vision. You gotta have vision. Yeah, exactly. I was like, cool the Mona Lisa looks stupid game. when she was 45% complete, too. Okay. <laughs> so, come on. Well, Rob, yeah. since you are a fellow black box lover, what kind of equipment do you have from them? Um, I haven't picked up stuff from them yet. I've been to Jeremy's. Yeah, Jeremy's uh, got a whole bunch of stuff. He's got yeah. like a whole Amazon room. And I have been uh, eyeing some of the three by 18 by 18s for some raise up scrubs. Yeah. Because um, I got a bunch of stuff that's like just getting to that size where I can start throwing them into three foot enclosures. And then yeah. the, uh, the Halmaheras doing them and in, in something that I can just like cover the front of. So they have less exposure to what's going on. Uh, and is, Clint, is ideally. So while we were down there, Clint told us, you know, so, you know, on the little doors that they add for they the lockers on the racks, they can, Clint told us he can actually make a door out of that material. So it's dark, it's completely opaque. It's and that black, it's, it's, black, yeah. flexy kind of acrylic stuff. Oh, damn. So he said when he said he could make it because I was having the same problem because I'm thinking about putting some pits and some four by twos. But I was like, man, I got a couple really high strung adults. And I'm like, they were going to bust their face on the glass. But then he told mm -hmm. me he can make a door out of those. And I was like, hmm. That's going like, to look, yeah. look a whole lot better than newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, they're cool, man. They're, it's. I love it, man. Can't say can't say enough good things about them. Awesome people, awesome product. They were we were spitballing some ideas with them about some new rack designs, and you know it's uh, big things to come, man. Y'all don't need to sleep on Black Box. It's uh, they're a great company, and they're 
they're leading the game, in my opinion. Like for real, bar, yeah. Bar none. Like nobody touches their the stuff that they're doing right now. It's 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 amazing. And if you use the so. code THN at checkout, save yourself some money when you That's go to right. buy a cage or a rack. Which you should go do. You should do that. Like seriously, right I mean, now. we say it all the time, but like, legitimately, we would not stand behind a product or a company if we did not use it ourselves or think that it yeah. was it was something that we thought was worth yeah. our getting behind. You know, it's it's one of those things that like I don't have black box because they're our sponsor. I bought almost two thousand dollars worth of equipment before we they ever sponsored us. Mm-hmm. Like it was this before I even I hadn't met him or anything, but Justin was kind of working with Jen a little bit, and I bought a ton of equipment from them, and uh, we went up there and picked it up, and shortly after is when they sponsored the podcast because like I was like this is it, this is the company, <laughs> like Hell yeah. no no doubt about it. So I'm gonna start doing more little. I think I'm gonna start doing little Instagram videos on some of their stuff. Um, just little shorts and just to kind of show off what I got going on here, especially once the room changes because I'm going to have a lot of stuff from them once everything's said and done. And um, so I'm going to try to do some little shorts for Instagram and show off, show off the goodness that is black box. I promise you, if you don't have but their stuff, you're missing out. Rob, do you like hot sauce? I do. And I actually have Steve Snakeshuary <laughs> hot sauce. <laughs> Yeah. Did I you get the, the whole? Uh, did you get the whole set? No, I didn't get the whole set. Um, because I'm not like big on like the green sauce. Oh, I think that's the cotton mouth. I never was You're either, but that's the, the best one. Missing out. I'm the same way. I don't like the same way. Sauce, but that cotton mouth sauce. Yeah. Pretty good. I might have to get it because I'm I'm one of those people who like when I was a kid, I would only eat like three things like I didn't eat. Oh, man. Hold on one second. Kid cuisines. No, not even. I would my uh, I would only like plain pasta with butter and salt on it. Like if it had a drop (laughs) of red sauce on it, I couldn't eat it. Like, yeah, I was one of those kids where like I was so picky about everything. I just I couldn't. I couldn't eat. I couldn't try things, and I didn't start trying things until I was like 24. <laughs> so <laughs> I I'm relatively new to trying new things, and, and I do like. I got the um, the Copperhead sauce and the Pygmy sauce. I think I got one more, but I haven't tried it. I I like opened one, and then I was like, man, I shouldn't open. I should just left it because I like the way that they look with the black the, the cap yeah, on mm-hmm. it. So I might just buy another one to so I can have a set. Yeah, for like just chilling on the shelf, and then ones that I can use. You can get a whole set for just display, you know, have them up in your snake room somewhere. Yeah, I I need snake art stuff. So I'm planning on getting that because I've, dude, I've got, I've got a bunch of pictures that I've been waiting to put up in my reptile room, but because of this whole room redo that I've been planning for the last freaking year, I haven't been able to, I haven't put anything up because I don't want to put unnecessary holes in my wall if I don't have to. Yeah. So I've got a bunch of art to go up, and I think once everything's done, I'm gonna get a whole set of the sanctuary <laughs> hot sauce and get that up somewhere. And what are you laughing at? It's so funny. Oh, you saying you don't like to put unnecessary holes in your wall? Oh, oh, we're doing that. <laughs> we're doing that. I didn't put a hole in the wall. Thank Whatever, you very much. Kyle. 
I did not put a hole in that wall. That that wall put a hole in me, but I did not. I, I didn't. I did a stud. Ouch. And that was a long time ago, my friend. I know. It okay. just that was, was a very long time ago. Now don't he's up, now he's cautious. Don't bring up bad memory. Don't okay. bring up bad memory. Okay. All right. Okay. Jeez. It's a rough time in my life. <laughs> I was during my sabbatical, okay? <laughs> I was gone from THP. He got a monster said. tattoo while he was gone. I was going to say, he hasn't touched yeah. Mountain Dew since. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, the code, the code red hits different. <laughs> That's what red. you should be having, because you're missing out if you like hot sauce. Baja blast that wall. I was just gonna. God damn it, <laughs> Bruh, That's too much. <laughs> yes, Steve Sanctuary. So get his hot sauces. You do that. You're helping him out. He's doing a bunch of uh, public education, rescues, rehabilitations, relocations, all that good stuff. And if you get that hot sauce, you're helping him directly with that. That's right. Um, he posted a nice selfie the other day. I guess he got a black rat from maybe it was a Texas rat. I don't remember, but it bit him on the face. So he gave him a little, yeah. little kiss, yeah, a little yeah, thank you, know. you. Thanks for saving me. <laughs> you know. That's one thing I've avoided somehow to date. It's not Casey bite. Cannon. Face bite, man. Yeah. It's yeah, not I, haven't, fun. I haven't taken a face bite yet. I came really close one day. I was in college and I was we were pond hopping in my neighborhood fishing and um, somebody found a bandaid down in a it was right outside of a storm pipe and I leaned down over the pipe and grabbed it by the tail, and I didn't really think it didn't really think it through. So I had it like right here in my face, and it's somebody took a video, and I took screenshots of and like from the video because this thing, I've got a picture. It's literally reared back, and you can see the mouth open, and then the next picture at lunch, and it's under the bill of my hat. Oh no! <laughs> the picture, I was like, oh god. <laughs> That was too close for comfort. Yeah, geez. I haven't had any snakes like bite and hold on, but I got a a tap on the side of the face from like a five and a half foot blood python. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. She was kind of annoyed. But the thing was like, don't get too comfortable. Just remember what I'm capable of. Yeah, for real. She was she was new to me. Like I had just picked her up maybe a couple hours before. And I was, I went to go visit like one of my extended family members and they were like, what do you got in the bag? And I was like, oh, just this blood python I picked up, blah, blah, blah. And I pick her up and I can feel that she's a little bit tense and I'm like, okay, whatever. She's being tense. And, uh, she just kind of like hot cause she was, you know, she's laying across my arms and she pops up, hits me on the side of the face, like top jaw up here, bottom jaw, just above my lip, like just with the side of her mouth quick little love tap and then lands right back down in my in my hands and my aunt was like are you okay and i was like i think i'm okay I was, she, uh, am i bleeding she's like yeah you're you're bleeding a little bit and I'm like, I, it's okay i guess i'll put her back in the bag then want to see you me like, bite you in the face want to like, see me yeah, do it again i'm fine <laughs> i'm fine i'm fine, fine. I'm and then yeah. the other one that i've had that was kind of close to my face but not quite is uh my jayapura scrub fleb the oh. one that just laid eggs God. the day that i got her in i unboxed her and i took her out of the bag and she's she's being pretty chill and she's wrapped on my arm and i'm like kind of holding her up just to, like get a good look around her and when i as soon as i lift her above my eye level she like cocked back and i was like oh, oh crap shit. 
crap she's no (laughs) she's like four and a half five foot long and she's on the end of my arm i'm like oh i'm I'm about to get there's no dodging it yeah i I just i just turned my face away and she she bit the side of like my ear so she just like hit me real quick and then like just stayed cocked back and i was like ah i I deserve that i deserve that one (laughs) i i learned the the reach of of scrubs very quickly with that tannin bar because i was so used to like you know, Condros, which, which you reach a... pretty far, but like that tannin bar, man, I'm like, nah, I'm good. And that thing would shoot out and be like, oh, <laughs> like feel the breeze on my yep. nose. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Like that. All yeah. right. Longer. I hook. love that about them. Yeah, man. They're, they're <laughs> freaking crazy. I miss, I miss my scrub. And I, every time I see your post, I'm like, damn it. Like, I don't need them again. <laughs> I, need I, don't, a scrub. <laughs> I don't need them again. I love them. I had so much. I got my fix. That that tannin bar was plenty for me. If I got tannin bars are really different, man. They're really if I, different. If I got a chance to get tannin bars, I would like why? They're just the pocket scrubs, man. Why not? They're not really pocket scrubs. I mean, they're, they're... still six foot, seven foot long. Like, get a get a Wamina and, and feed it conservatively, and you got the same thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, but I, just ha- lo- I love the barnecks, man. I yeah. do. Like out of any of the look of scrubs, barnecks are to beat. Are, like to beat. the the Jayapuras and the Kofi Owls are just mm. oh my. That reduced know, look. Those, those I love are, the reduced look. And man. the Oxybils are ridiculous. Ooh, Oxybils are tight, and the Malukins like oof. Malukins are nice. Yeah, Malukins are nice. I wish, I wish one day, one day I'll have Malukins. Not yet, but one day. Yeah. But before we get too deep into the scrub talk, but we definitely, because we definitely will. Justin, do you have any updates since we haven't recorded in two weeks? Anything going on? Uh, Nothing since sort of the update on snakes and stogies. But if anybody didn't catch that, Clip Notes version is corn snake clutch hatch from the ghost tessera to the pied blood red male. Mm-hmm. completely assumed everything in that clutch was going to come out normal looking, but either normal or Tessera with nothing but hets and everything came out hypo and mask with some Tesseras and all kinds of goofiness. So um, it helps to know your hets yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a little frustrating when you don't know what hets your animals have. <coughs> True. Then you get these things, and you're like, now, like, what else is buried in the mix? Because I know it ain't AML, but what else is there that I just didn't pair? You know, who knows what else is lurking, lurking beneath the the surface there? But um, those hatched haven't had first sheds yet. I'm doing the mouse cutting experiment Mm. for sure. Started that. Got initial weights on all of them. I'm gonna weigh them all again. I think on Saturday. Waiting for first sheds before I feed them, just because I found in my experience, if I try to feed them before that first shed, most of them don't take. So I just wait. Um, and then I'm going to feed them. And then before I feed the following week, I'll weigh them again. And I'm going to do that off and on for a while and, uh, you know, graph that out and hopefully have similar results to what uh, Hurley had when she did the same study. So we'll see. Nice, man. Yeah, I was very concerned with my corn clutch because I purposely bought stuff that was supposed to be normal because I didn't want hets of anything. <laughs> and uh, so the entire time that I'm these 
Okatee eggs have been incubating. I'm staring at him and be like, none of you better be albino. I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to be so mad. I swear to God. I don't want any albinos in this thing. So I, as soon as I saw little heads poking out, I looked real quick. I was like, no albinos, no albinos. Okay, we're cool. We're cool. Right, no Focatees. Yeah. yeah, bro. Focatees. Uh, what was, the, what the was that pairing? Like what? Focatee to focatee, bro. Come well, on, I mean, what, yeah. what, in, what <sighs> constitutes focatee? For people that don't. Uh, anything that's not yeah so if if you have are not in my small realm of influence where i talk about these things um uh, i've got some like quote unquote okati look animals so they have that look of the hunt club you know bright orange black borders around the uh saddles down the back and the red inside the saddles um but the i think one of mine is from sherman line the male uh, so he potentially could have lineage back to hunt club stuff. Mm -hmm. The the female is not. She's just like a random really, just a corn. Really good looking, yeah. Just a really nice looking corn. Um, and so uh, whenever I would post them, people would be like, that's not a real Okadee. That's not from hunt club. And I'm like, you got me there. Hey, you, you, you sure showed me. And I just got really sick of like having the conversation over and over and over again. Cause yeah. like, that's that's a trade name like people call that look okatee as a look yeah. and then it's also a locality and so i was like how do i stop the confusion here and so i was like i'm just gonna call them focatees well, because it just the, lets people know they're not the real thing the funniest part about that is it's not like there's this giant wall around the hunt club that stops other animals other corns in the area from looking like that like i have yeah. an animal from across a how how wide is the broad river like what a mile there it's not quite but close to it yeah yeah and it it comes from i mean from the hunt club it's like what probably 15 miles difference from like green pond over to the hunt club area jake yeah roundabout if i showed you those next to each other most people would be like oh yeah those are really nice hunt club animals yep but <laughs> in what timeline those are pretty far separated because there's a massive sound that separates them sound being like a giant you know river that goes Body out water, the atlantic yep. yeah. yeah and uh like it, it's really that's exactly what it has become like that name has become synonymous yeah. with with normals which i don't necessarily agree with like i think wild type yeah. is a better better name for that kind right. of stuff but it's like if you showed people animals that came from you know even five miles outside of the hunt club area you'd still get that same probably same very similar look. and so yeah. it's like really like and it's funny because like i again this is you know just me and the corners that i've seen you know like right there so the hunt club or not, it's not quote, air quote. I don't know why I did air quote. So, hunt club <laughs> stuff is it's called the Okatee Hunt Club. Now, there is Okatee, South Carolina, and mm -hmm. the actual area of Okatee is in a completely different county, or what? at least part <laughs> of it. Like, so Hunt Club is in Jasper County, yeah, and which is in like Ridgeland area, you know, and then actual Okatee is mostly in Beaufort. Some of the area that's considered Okatee is might go into Jasper County, mm -hmm. but Okatee Hunt Club isn't even in Okatee. 
which is kind of funny. Well, they're to me. spelled completely different too. Yeah, they're spelled completely <laughs> different. But that was the old spelling of Okate. Okate used to be spelled O K E E T E E, and that's how the the Hunt Club still spells it. But Okate, South Carolina, is O K A T I E, and hmm. it's it's weird. You know, it's got this whole thing. But I'll tell you what I found when I was working on the plantation. I found a corn snake. It was in Yamasee, South Carolina, so probably 30 minutes away, completely different county. I found a corn snake that would put every hunt club animal to shame. Damn. To, and I <laughs> stand by that. I'm talking the most red, the most black corn snake you will ever see in your freaking life. Damn. And it was just a beautiful snake and if anybody looked at that they'd be like oh dang where where in hunt club did you find that i'm like mm -hmm. well, no not even, other, not even the other, close <laughs> the other question is like as line bread as some of these things have been for however many generations it's like at what point can you even really call it a hunt club animal anymore if like at some That's point it gets so far removed. Myself. <laughs> at some point it gets so far removed i don't like yeah you could say it comes from from hunt club line stuff but after a while, I would think it, it, you're so far removed from it that it's like, it seems kind of very distant. Yeah, it's like, because like, if you look at it, at the end of the day, we are not going, oh, this is an, a hunt line animal and this is a hunt line animal, just two random ones from there. We're going, these are hunt club animals in this group. I like the look of this one and this one. So we're going to breed these ones together and we're getting really far away from what they look like. Like, don't get me wrong. They're probably look nice in that area, oh, yeah. but not oh, as absolutely. nice as the stuff absolutely. we're making in captivity. So oh, like, no. yeah, it could have come from well, that line, but to be like, Oh, this other animal that has the same like visual look is not as it's not good because it's not from that line. It's like, Come on, man. Like, we're all selectively breeding for stuff that we like. Right. So. It's the same thing with the Loma Alta Bairds, like the really nice super silver with high orange. Like, that's a very exaggerated version of that locality is what it is. Right. Like, yes, that's where the basis of, of that look comes from. But when you've line bred it very purposefully and, and, and specifically over years, like, you're yeah. getting the best of the best purposefully. Yes. And if you go to Loma Alta, like, yeah, you will find some really nice animals. Will they all look like that? Probably, probably not close, no. but. And, but because that's, that's the thing. Everybody thinks like you go to, cause like we live, I can be in the hunt club. I can be in Ogatee hunt club because there's state roads that you can road cruise. I've done it three times now, literally signs everywhere in the woods, no trespassing Ogatee hunt club. You're right in the middle of it. I can be in there and, 40 minutes, mm -hmm. you know, maybe less, you know, it's right up the road and it's just, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's funny, you know, I get it, you know, but that's, that's the thing. It's like, everybody thinks that like you go to hunt club, you're going to find the corn snake and it's going to be the best corn snake you've ever seen. <laughs> I bet you there's a ton of corn more often than not. I bet you those corns out there are pretty freaking average. Yeah. Like, but it's, they're hunt club animals, but everybody has this, <laughs> idea don't get wrong there's i know there's some smoke show corns and hunt club i know there is they're they're out there it's been they've been caught but they have generic looking corn snakes 
like a lot of other places, you know, I bet you, you yeah. go to, if you go to some of the private islands in actual Okatee, I bet you the corn snakes blow those out of the water in our club because they've been, they basically line breed themselves because mm-hmm. they're condensed to an island, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I Is that an issue? Like, funny. do people do the same thing with scrub localities? What? Like when someone says, you know, oh, this is a nice Jayapura and people are like that's not a Jayapura because it doesn't have X, Y or Z or uh, the scrub situation is really bad and messed up right now. Just yeah. in general, uh, because technically I think all scrubs are classified under Amethystina, except for Nauta, except for the tandem bars. Right. So like Highlands, Malukins. <laughs> oh, no, Malukans, Malukans are class Lepus. So yep. Highlands, Southerns, Barnecks are all considered Amethystina. Yeah. So like, no, that's not the case. Like right. that, uh, Waminas are still considered Amethystina. Yeah. That's not, that's just not true. Um, no. And then when it comes to like localities of, um, you know, Barnecks, there are certain looks like the sarongs are really distinct. Like the, they have the most pattern, most black on them. They got the spots down the sides. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to look at a barnack and be able to tell if it is a sarong, if it has those markers, but then you look at any of the other localities and there's a, a decent amount of variation in it between like Manaquari, Jayapura, you know, any of the other locales, there's a lot of variation. Um, for Barnex at least. And then with Highlands, there's, there are a lot of different looking Highlands. Like there's some that are more gold overall. And then there are some that have like a more muted color and then bright gold bars down the sides. There's, it's just, there hasn't been enough done with it. Isn't, isn't now if I, Oh, you you broke up there. Yeah. You broke up. I didn't hear but isn't like did two... me? Yeah, you did. Oh, I said there's a lot of parallels to Condros. Yeah, in that, in that regard. Yeah, but they yeah. finally broke up Condros, which I can't believe. Like I, I heard y'all. So I was listening to y'all's podcast today, Rob, and I heard you, you know, talking about going off about it. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing, and I agree wholeheartedly. Like you know, scrubs are so very different. Like you can mm-hmm. say, I now granted. So tell me if I'm wrong. Now I believe. Because when I got my Southern, there was some, you know, I was talking to somebody about my guy and he was like, I don't know, man, I think that looks, that kind of looks like a Highlands based on the lateral orange color, blah, blah. Isn't there kind of a mix up sometimes between Southerns and Highlands based on yes. colors? Because they have a very similar pattern, but the Highlands are known to have those lateral orange, you know, kind of colors and the Southerns are a little bit more muted and tan. Yeah, the Southerns. Yeah, if you look at like the southerns and then the distribution, and we're finding this out now with a lot of species like uh, taipans and then Dan Mulary found children's pythons in Southeast Asia. And, uh, you know, lots of these species that they're in Australia and then they're also in these southern areas of, um, you know, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, yeah, all that areas. Um, you're finding that. These species that are in Australia are also happening up in in the southern portion of Asia. The Meroki scrubs or the southern scrubs are basically just that. They're like a smaller cousin of the Australian 
you know, King Ornai, in, in my eyes, yeah, smaller version of the, the King Ornai. They have the same exact look. If you take a Southern and a picture of a King Ornai and you put them next to each other, most people would not be able to tell the difference right. between them. You know, you see an adult, yeah, you, you go, oh, yeah. shit, that thing's <laughs> yeah. freaking huge. But for babies, I don't think so. And then also, I've seen baby Southern scrubs that have gold bars on them and then as they get out of that baby size they completely fade away like i have a male uh southern here and when i got him real small he had some light gold bars down his sides and i was like that's kind of weird i wonder how he's going to develop and he has since lost all of that but he doesn't have the high yellow color that the oxybil or the other highland scrubs have um and then also i have seen a couple stores that do their own importing have imported some scrubs as Maroques as as southern scrubs and you look at them and they had these bright gold bars down the sides that are indicative of highlands um but they've got them labeled as southerns as as Maroki animals or or just labeled as generic scrub python and so i've seen that happening recently too so you got to wonder where's the overlap where's the line where's the cutoff or or do they overlap in areas i think that one of the things with scrubs is that um, a lot of them were named for locality where they were maybe first taken out of but we're now finding out that they are have a much larger distribution. One of the big ones is Wamina's because every scrub that has come out of Jayapura in the last three years is a Wamina type scrub right. python. So I, I, when I was at nerd before I left, uh, they had Jayapura scrubs on the list and I was like, I've been looking for a male Jayapura for years. So let's order si- like five or six of them. <laughs> they come in and it's all Wamina type. And I was like, well, that is not what I was looking for. Because the stuff from Jayapura is supposed to be a barneck type, correct? Yes. Like all yep. the stuff from Jayapura is supposed to be you know, Previously, barneck. yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then it also goes into, you know, because the whole like southern thing and having the lateral orange on them, it, it, it kind of makes you wonder, is there more variation as babies than we think? Are a lot of the southerns getting some of that? We don't you know, kind know. of orange, and then they, and then it fades out. You know, yeah. so are people seeing the orange as babies, being like, "This is a Highland" or "This is whatever," and then it grows up, and then they're like, "Oh, maybe not." But then they just stick with it because it sounds cool. We don't know? even have big enough sample size to say like, no, exactly. we don't get hatchling the... scrubs in hardly. You know, there, it just doesn't happen often. No. And then there's even fewer people breeding them, so it's like, you know. It is what it is. Why do you think that is? Why do I think that uh, people have a tough time breeding scrubs? Or why do like, you yeah, not I mean, baby well, scrubs? So it seems to me that in the last five-ish years, probably the same time frame that we've started the podcast, like there seemed to be this big sort of crest into scrubs. And then within the last probably two or three years, there's been a very big sort of decline scrubs people got out of them people went crazy into them and then people kind of like i guess maybe they lost their allure to because in that three-year time span they got big (laughs) that or i mean well i'm I'm just i'm curious like because you also you know when someone hatches out scrubs really of of any kind it seems like it's a it's a big deal yeah yeah so there's different levels yeah there's different levels to it because um i've been watching just 
scrubs and people keeping scrubs and stuff for you know i don't know 15 years or more um, let's see i'm about to turn 35 so it put me at like 17 yeah like 15 years just paying real close attention to who's got scrubs uh what species they're keeping uh what their attempts at breeding are like what their success is like if they're sharing that sort of information i'm one of those people who likes to gather a whole lot of information from all the different areas uh that it is is out there and then you know i don't always end up talking about all of it but i can use it to compile and get a, a mental image in my mind of things that i might want to apply or ways that i think um other people might be able to use it to their advantage if they ask me about it. And so there's a lot of people um, that get scrubs and then they're like, Oh, scrubs got to be big. And they are thinking like other large snakes where they're like, I'm going to make it big and they make them big. And then they die when they're four years old or five years old or six years old. Um, I think that scrubs in particular Mm -hmm. are just more sensitive to that feeding regimen and like i've heard you guys talk about and there's you know been a bunch of studies on uh when right after a snake eats their body goes into hyperdrive where their organs get bigger that their everything is on high alert and it is like mayhem on their body kind of everything's working overtime exactly and i think that you know in some hardier species like reticulated pythons or ball pythons uh, their bodies can handle just being at that heightened, you know, growing pace for longer periods of time where I think scrub bodies, if they are exposed to that too much, it puts a lot of stress on their heart and on other organs. And then it leads to a, a lack of longevity and it ends up killing them long-term because I can't, I can, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've seen, get scrubs, get them to 15 feet long and then see them die. It's a lot. It's a lot. It just, it is. And, you know, at under 10 years old and when people see, you know, the way that I'm doing my scrubs and some other people have been doing their scrubs where they grow them a lot slower, uh, they can handle big meals. Like you can, you can give them a good size meal and they'll, they'll take it. Um, you know, you've seen all these videos of them eating these giant birds and shit, like their bodies can handle that, but I don't think that they can handle it back to back to back to back. To right. Back right. Like people like do with- you can't feed them that jumbo rat every two weeks. Yeah. You it's know, just their, like, their body doesn't recoup quick enough or whatever it is. Right. And I think a lot of people get discouraged because, um, if you grow them slower, it takes you longer to see success, which in today's society it doesn't doesn't work yeah, out people get frustrated okay. after yeah. yeah if it's three years old and it doesn't breed get rid of it like right. that's we're that's in, everyone's mindset we're an instant gratification generation yeah. you know yeah. and that's really something i try and you know steer away from you know and and there's there's also the mindset of just because it can breed doesn't mean it should yes you know type of thing and i feel like scrubs would fall into that you know and because I, I'm a firm believer, especially with Boyd's, that I'm at the very least a five-year kind of guy. I'm mm-hmm. not a push him to breed at three and a half, even four years old. I like five, maybe even six, just for 
longevity purposes, man, you know, I don't think animals, you know, obviously, you know, rat snakes and corn snakes can vary a little bit. Even those, I prefer my rat snakes to be four. Yeah. You know, everybody pushes for three. I, I like four, you know, that's just a personal thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a very, does just because it can doesn't mean it should. And I think scrubs, I think personally, I think scrubs fall into that six, maybe even seven year mark of being like, oh, yeah. that's prime, you know, yep. like that, that's when they really should be at that, at that point, you know? And, um, but yeah, I mean, again, it's, there's, you're looking at, you know, going back to the parallels with chondros i mean you're looking at animals that occupy pretty much the same space and are just as seasonal of eaters as chondros will be mm-hmm. you know with rainy and dry seasons um you know we see the same issue with chondros and and them getting obese very quickly yeah. i think with scrubs it's probably it's it's different because I, I feel like those are they're higher metabolism than chondros are so maybe they don't hold on to that weight as much as a chondro would um, yeah, if you look sure. in the same same amount of time with the same number of meals, kind of thing. Um, but you know that is again, like you see pictures of of any species with these ma- you know rattlesnakes that are eating rabbits. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it's like that doesn't mean they need to be eating that. You know, it's like that's just a, a very that's a blip in the timeline of that animal's life where it just got yep. lucky. Like that is a yep. very that is not the the rule. That is the exception by a right. long shot. Yep. And who knows when that snake would eat again after that meal? You know, um, six months later, it's like I got this right. big meal. Now I'm gonna go yeah. sit someplace cool and not yeah. eat for you know three months or some yeah. shit. Like people, are like I saw it eat a rabbit, so I got to feed it a rabbit every week. And I'm like, dude, they don't have a calendar. They don't go. It's Wednesday. Yeah. It's time for feeding. Like, no. Yeah. That's, well, that's yeah. that's always one of the things that that Terry Phillip always said that I liked a lot was you know just because it snows doesn't mean I'm gonna go throw snow in with my rattlesnakes when I brewmate them. Like. Yep. <laughs> what yeah. they're going to experience in the in the wild doesn't like i'm all for trying to to do things that lines up with the natural history but there is a at some point there is a, there's a limit a line. You, yeah, you're not right. going to expose them yeah, to predators right. come on now right. <laughs> right so i've got a i've got kind of a series of questions for you when it comes to scrubs just to kind of help help some people out um number 1 is how big do you think your average scrub should be, whether it be Southern to Barnick? And then are you more of a big item, less frequent or smaller item, more frequent kind of? Can we, can we preface the first part of that by saying, is there a massive difference in size, but you know, barring tandem bars, obviously, but like between the highlands and southerns and things like that, like, is there any major size difference between those, those, the different sectors? Um, I would say that there is a decent size difference between, you know, at least some of them. Uh, The most commonly bred scrubs are Southerns and Waminas and the Southerns tend to get good size. I mean, if you, if you give them time and, and feed them right, they will, you know, live a long time and also get big. You know, I've seen Southerns that are pushing, you know, probably 14 feet or so. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's a good size scrub. Yeah, and uh, yeah, maybe 14, 15 foot. So good size. That's kind of right in that Barnack, uh, Barnack size range too. But also um, the Sarong Barnacks seem to get a, a bit bigger than the Jaipurs, just from what I've seen and from mm-hmm. pictures online and from my own animals, my Jaipurus scrub that I bred this year, 
you know, granted, I don't feed any of my snakes like I want to get them huge, but I've had her since I think it was 2019. So I've had her for four years now. I got her when she was about four and a half foot and she is maybe eight and a half foot or nine feet long right now. So I've had her for four years. She's under 10 feet because Janet is maybe 11 foot and, uh, and Janet's almost 10 now. So, um, the, the Barnex tend to be touted as the biggest because I have seen some freaking massive Barnex. Uh, San Diego Zoo has this just giant, ginormous Barnex there that I really need to see in person just because I saw, I've seen pictures of it and I'm like, man, that thing is obscenely large. It's probably old as hell, too. It's probably like yeah. 35 years old or some shit. Right. But uh, I've seen a lot of 14 to 15 foot Barnex, Sarong Barnex. Um, I've seen a decent amount of Southerns that are well over 11 feet. So I'd say probably in that 12 to 14 foot range. Whereas the Wamina type scrubs, I tend to see on the smaller side. I haven't seen any really giant Waminas. Right, like yeah. biggest I've seen is probably like 10 or 11 <clears throat> feet. Like, and, and you that's, a, think, that's a pretty big Wamina. Yeah, that's, that's that'd a, be a big one. And then also like when people hear like 11 foot, they're usually thinking like 11 foot berm where it's like, you know, <laughs> b- bigger around than a Coke can or something. This is like a carpet. It's a two liter. It's almost yeah. a big coastal size. Yeah. You know, as far as like girth goes. Yeah. Yeah. Like 10 foot Wamina is, is not a big, you know, maybe this the, as big around as a Coke can, maybe probably even smaller than that. Right. Um, as far as width goes, whereas like I've seen Barnex that are way bigger around than a coke can right and so the the waminas tend to stay smaller they're also a little bit easier to breed just i should probably shouldn't say that they're easier to breed i have seen more people breed waminas and southerns than barnex or clastolepis right. or highlands they're more big, commonly bred exactly a big right. shout out to Stephen kush because he just hatched out highlands i think it's the first clutch of highlands in the united states that's wow. huge just absolutely massive yeah big big shout to him um and then there was a guy in europe lawrence who produced yep. highlands as well yeah um and and so the highlands kind of get similar from what i've seen uh, similar in between like the Southern and Wamina. So at that like 12 foot range where they're not, right. they're not big, they're, like giant, but they are a, a bigger scrub than, than the Waminas are. And then you got your Tana bars that are like six, seven, maybe eight foot long, right. which are, are the, the itty bitties. And so there, there, I see there is a decent size difference. But I think it also has to do with how people feed them because like, um, you know, you can put food into them and get them big. It's just, they probably won't live super long if you end up doing that. It's like the yeah. kind of like the 10 foot coastal thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, and again, you know, the I, mythical I, I, 10 foot coastal. Yeah. Like <laughs> I said earlier, there's a difference between, you know, should breed and can breed. And then there's also a difference between can get that big and yes. should get that big, you know, yes. at least at an earlier size. You know, if I would imagine if a coastal lives, 30 years and it eventually hits that you know nine foot range okay but if this thing's six seven years old and it's nine feet long you did something wrong like yeah, that's yeah. just my opinion you know because snakes never stop growing so like yeah over 30 years if it gets gets to that point then okay you know but 
Um, one yeah. One other thing is like if you look at how big humans can potentially be and how small humans can potentially be, that, you go okay. That. Humans can get seven foot ten tall, and it's like we've all seen you... my six hundred pound life. <laughs> For real, yeah. like you you you're like okay, they can get this big, and people take that as like that's the goalpost. That's what I need to get it to, and it's like genetically, not all of them are going to get that big. You got to think of the sample size that we get in the united states you got to think about the genetic of the genetics of the parents that we ended up getting and then look at me and you know. Jake. <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's you know the genetic of the parents that's always something i've always had in my head and i think that plays way more of a role in animals than a lot of people realize because like oh, yeah. you, you can i i see it i've seen it in my collection with carpets i'm looking at two males right now one they're both one male, they're both 2014 animals, and one male has a foot, maybe two, on the other. They're both on the same feeding schedule. They're both mm -hmm. the same age. They're both males. But one is substantially smaller, and I've also yep. seen it with my females. I'm looking at two females here, each of them about six foot. They're both, you know, poplin carpets. Each of them about six foot. That's a big poplin. My first car my the first carpets I ever bred, the female was maybe four foot. Mm -hmm. You yeah, know, the, small. I remember the first carpet I ever bred was four yeah. foot. And that's about your average poplin carpet female, four to five foot. But I've got two monster girls here that are six foot plus, you know, and mm -hmm. that's just they're not fed heavily. They never have been. You know, everybody knows me. I'm conservative with my feeding, especially with my carpets. And so it's like the genetics behind them and the parents and, you know, the grandparents and the great grandparents, all that plays a huge part of to how big an animal can get. True. But there's also limits, you know, mm -hmm. there's also limits to that. If you've got a pop and carver that's eight feet long, you're, you're probably overfeeding. Yeah. Uh, something went know. wrong there. <laughs> like, that's just mm. genetic yeah. freaks. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, so, that is the one thing that that I'm confused about because no one else in my family is as tall as I am. I think I was a test tube baby. Recessive <laughs> man is a recessive trait for you. Maybe uh, you were adopted. <laughs> I was birthed by a Sasquatch. Yeah. It's funny. My dad and my mom are both like five six, and so when P and I'm six foot tall, Jeez. like six foot even. So when I stand next to them, I'm like a head over both of them, and people are like what's going on? How did you end what up so tall? Here? And it's like my dad, all of his brothers are like six, three. He just, right. he was the first born and he was the smallest. He's, you know, wow. five, six, five, seven. And, and my mom, all of her brothers are also right around that six foot mark too. So it just happened to line up that they were small, but they passed on that taller tree. Yeah. So yeah. could you say your dad got the short end of the stick? Oh, he did for sure. For sure. <laughs> No, that um, is that. I mean, that is like a good example of of sort of one of the issues in in the general hobby that I see, at least in the Facebook groups and stuff, is like somehow there's become a standard of size for different species. You know, it makes take, me angry. Take your pick, yeah. and it's really frustrating because <laughs> yeah. like corns, you know, had you know, not that long ago. Like I had a a corn on Morph Market that was a twenty. 21 baby maybe a 22 22 
and I think it weighed all of like 14 grams. Mm-hmm. You know, someone messaged me about it and was interested in it, and I I waited for them because they asked me to, and I said sure. Sent them pictures of the scale with the snake on and everything, and they were like, "She seems kind of small for a 22." And I'm like, "Yeah." You know, I explained. I was like, "I don't feed the shit out of my animals." Like, mm-hmm. there was nothing unhealthy about that snake. Perfect weight, perfect yeah. body tone, no issues whatsoever. Bro, let me tell you, because (laughs) we have Facebook groups where people are are screaming from the rooftops that that you know this animal needs to be exactly in two years, yeah, you know, one hundred to one hundred twenty grams. Like, you know, if it's not that, then that animal is unhealthy. That animal is sick. That animal is underfed. And I'm like, I just don't. It's like I don't feed my stuff. Even like my smaller stuff, I try to feed weekly. But for the most part, I don't feed my stuff weekly. Yep, regardless of size. And I think. I really think that like pushing animals to get big quick is what, why we have a lot of animals die early. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had several people tell me, yeah, you know, a lot of my carpets just kind of die at around 10 and, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm like, well, how fast did you get it up to adult size? Oh, it was breeding at a year and a half. My male was two when he bred and I'm like, you know, I've got, I've got my 29, my 2020 carpets that I produced. Your average person would look at it and be like, oh, that's like a year and a half old, right? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. Like, yep. they're small, man. You know, I don't, because, because, like, and I feed them. Yeah, I feed them every two weeks, sometimes three, you know, and I give them an ant, I get them a rodent that gives a small lump, you know. I don't shove anything huge down them, but, you know, I just, well, then it makes things. me, it makes me like question myself for like a very brief second where I'm like, maybe I'm not, maybe these things aren't big enough. But then I'm like, no, no, stop that. no, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, I'm like, this is the problem. Like the Facebook groups, man, that's where I see it the most is like, yeah, it has to be, can... if, if it's not this size by this age that then, then you're doing something wrong. It's like, and maybe that's just the way it is. Like mm-hmm. the, and I don't the know... extreme has become the norm for feeding and, and getting animals right. up to size. And that's kind of, that's the biggest issue for me. Currently because everybody wants things. to breed as quick as they can, yeah. you know? And I think that's the biggest problem. It's not necessarily like, I wouldn't even say it's overfeeding as adults. I do think that is an issue uh, the overfeeding as adults, but I think getting animals to grow so fast is a detriment in the long run. Like it's yeah. not, it's, it's not healthy. It's not yeah. good and for them, I, you know. And, when I think about corns too, you got to think about in the wild, right? Uh, they're not eating year round. Like we feed them year round in captivity because right. that's convenient for us. But a lot of people don't brumate their baby corns. Like, and I don't blame them because I would not want to, I'm not really too keen about, you know, right. having a snake eat three times and then putting it in a cooler for three yeah. months, you know, but right. like, so even if we're feeding more conservatively through the winter time, it's eating more than a wild corn snake would. And then you have to consider when that animal comes out of brumation in the wild, naturally, how many times is it really going to have the opportunity to have a predation event? You know, how often is it actually going to catch something that is appropriate size for it to be able to eat in that summertime? It's just got the summer, it's you know, maybe late spring to early fall where it's going to be able to eat and find consistent food. And so it's only eating for a very small window of the year. And then it goes back down into hibernation. And so naturally, if you look at the snakes that we've got in captivity and compare them at the same age to snakes from the wild, I bet you, even if we feed super conservatively, captive snakes will almost always be bigger 
than their wild counterparts. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, the case. I would say but, 100% of the time they're going to be bigger. You know? Yeah. But people will still look at that and be like, this is a one year old corn snake. Why isn't it two and a half foot long? And it's like, <laughs> bro, they would never experience that in the, like, yeah. in the wild. It's just not a thing. They would not be able to physically eat enough in their window of activity for them to be able to get that big in a year. It's just yeah. not, it's not feasible. And I've, I actually have the perfect example for that. In quarantine right now, I have two wild-caught yellow rat snakes. Yeah. One was wild-caught the year it was born. Like, it was still a black and gray baby, you know, when it was caught. So that was fed, you know, all that summer and through the winter. I have a female for that male that was caught the spring or summer after it was born. And so they're the same age, but one was in captivity for the year. The other was caught after its brumation in the wild. That female is half the size. Mm-hmm. You know it. You know it's at least a year old because it has its colors now. You know it's obviously bigger. It's obviously not a this year baby. It was obviously last year's, but it's half the size of the male because the male was fed all of that winter versus having that brumation and when i say half i mean literally half the size one's easily eating fuzzies one can barely take two pinkies and how much you want to bet that that other one maybe it's maybe it's not even maybe you got it when it was already a year old because of brumation yeah or or maybe it just didn't really get food when it first hatched out you know know, there all these factors play play into that yeah and that's yeah that's actually one thing i'm going to start doing i I'm not doing it now simply because my brumation chamber is my garage and dealing with more animals in the garage is something I don't want to do. But once I have a dedicated colubrid room, I plan on having a baby room to where like, no, I don't really want to brumate babies right after they're born. Mm -hmm. It's not something I want to do. But after their first winter, they're going to get cooled every year you got the gears turned for me now because now i'm curious if you do brumate babies you know the year they they do hatch you know several months after they've hatched um again weighing them going into brumation maybe weighing them during brumation weighing when they come out and then weighing them when they first start getting those couple meals coming out of brumation and subsequently seeing seeing how that affects them and 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 growth from there yeah, one of the things I've seen is that um, some people who do uh, gray ban king snakes, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, if your babies are not eaten yeah. after brumate those it. first couple times, brumate them, let them go the winter without eating, and when they come back out, they are going to be wanting to eat something, and they'll usually they're less picky uh, when they come back out." Right, and it kind of like that kind of thing kind of makes me wonder how many babies are actually eating like in the wild? How many of them have actually eaten like at all before they brewmate, yeah. you know, cause there's always late clutches, you know, whether it be in captivity or the wild, there's always going to be late clutches. So mm-hmm. how many are hatching in September <laughs> where they have the and, opportunity to get like one meal, maybe yeah, if they're lucky, maybe, maybe they found a baby, a knoll they can snag and then they brewmate right down, you yeah. know, like how often is that happening? We don't know. Yep. But I can tell you from the baby that I got that was caught this year by, it wasn't by me, it was by somebody else. I bought it off them. But I can tell you that that baby 
that's for sure at least a year old is not much bigger than the white oaks I just hatched out. Mm-hmm. It's a little bigger, don't get me wrong, but it ain't by much. Yep. You know, like <laughs> it's, you know, so it, it, it's just people need to get, you know, and again, I'm not judging anybody for what they want to do. You know, they're your animals. If you 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 do whatever the hell you want to do. But it, I'm going to really, I really, I think, am. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I am. Don't worry about that. Um, but it really makes me, I really wish more people would get out of the mindset of, I want this animal to breed. Obviously all of us breed, all of us have snakes to breed. Um, not everybody, but most of you all listen to this do eventually have the goal to breed snakes. And, but like, I wish we would get out of the mindset of putting like natural behaviors before the breeding mindset, you know, like, the, obviously yeah, like breeding's... going more by the natural history rather than what Facebook. Right. And I'm not saying breeding. like, your whole enclosure needs to be a piece of the wild. Obviously yes, it does. Do that, that's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, if you want to do that, that's awesome. I love it. But I am more of a behavior kind of, kind of guy, you know, let little less feeding more brumation as youngers again, like, and I say this and I literally just said, I don't want to brumate babies. I don't, you know, like I'd <laughs> rather get them going. If I have to brumate them as babies, I will, but after that first winter, eventually I want to cool every, every colubrid I have, you know, after the first, after that first winter, you know, and that's mostly yeah. just for my sanity, you know, and, but I think that could, and I think that'll play into longevity and better breeding, you know, yeah. like down the road, you know, healthier clutches, you know, snakes are going to live longer. Um, they're not going to be as fat, you know, I think it'll <laughs> help with a lot of things personally but again what do i know it's just right. just it's just just my thoughts you know i that's one thing that i really like about the uh scrub community as as like a whole i see i because i watch the scrub group i really don't like posting in facebook groups anymore honestly yeah. because uh, the people who are interested in the stuff that i'm doing they follow me so i really don't need to post in any of those groups for someone right. to be like right. what is the it, you don't have a isopod colony in your... and i'm like no bro i i don't right now sorry i'm yeah. i'm a horrible keeper um Terrible. but like in in the scrub group i've i've seen more of a push for people who just like appreciate them because scrubs are so hard to breed. I see less people that are like, I'm going to come in here and breed a whole bunch of scrubs. It's people who are just like, man, these, no, they, are... those, those ones go to the chondro groups. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I, I agree. I feel like the scrub corner is made up of a lot of people that just have them. Yeah. You they know, just like, them. like they I'm think not they're interesting. I just have a couple of scrubs cause I like them, you know? Yeah. And, because that, that's kind of how I am, you know. I had I had the male southern for a while. Unfortunately, he did not vibe with my room mm-hmm. very well at all. I don't know if he got Nido when that whole thing ran about, you know, several years ago now. Um, but he unfortunately passed on me. Um, but I, I just like to have him, man. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a cool snake, and for I, I hate that he didn't do well for me. Um, but. You know, they're, they're just cool snakes to have, man. You know, they're, and that's the other thing is like, you don't have to breed everything that you have, man. For you, know, real. you can just, you can just <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> Wait, Justin, are you saying that if you get venomous, you're going to breed them? That's different. Or are you saying huh? that you, 
don't need to breed everything you keep. What? 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 what, what why don't you answer that? What was <laughs> the question? Huh? <laughs> you broke up a little bit. Yeah. You gonna breed? You gonna breed pygmies? Huh? I don't need to breed. I don't need to breed everything. I do want to get into venomous. I'm not intending on breeding any venomous. I just like them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Breach. Well, back on the back on the scrub thing. My second question was, what's kind of your feeding regimen? Are you Big bigger meals, meals or small meals yeah big meals more often smaller meals more frequently or both or at the same time and what's your <laughs> or do you change yeah do you change because I, I change it up with my carpets you know the other day you know like two weeks ago my girl literally i gave her one of justin's colossal rats to hell yeah two of my <laughs> those are carpets. those are baby capybara <laughs> yeah, they're huge man like it looked like my two adult females ate a small football i can fit um, three of those in like a gallon size uh vacuum seal bag that's dude, how big they are i'm they're huge Dumb. man and <laughs> so i literally i fed one i fed them to my carpets two and a half weeks ago ish maybe three I literally just got, I looked in here today and there's a massive turd from <laughs> one of the girls. It took her that long to digest that thing. Cause I was yeah, waiting. I you're was welcome. like, where's the turd? And there's literally a poop in there bigger than what my dog poops out. Yep. And, um, you know, so that's gonna, I'm not going to feed her for another, at least a week or two, you know, let her sit on that. But of course, right now she's up on her platform Waiting. Head down, just waiting, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, don't do it. I'm not doing it. Um, so what's kind of your regimen or do you change it up? Because you know, like I said, I gave them those big ones and then usually I feed them mediums, you know, which doesn't even yeah. hardly leave a lump. Yeah, I I um I change it up a bit um because I just think that that's more close more to natural. what they're experiencing in the wild. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of these island species, they're experiencing uh times of the year where they're likely to have migratory birds come through where they have an yeah. abundance of food and then they'll go through areas where it's a little bit cooler and they might not have access to food or the prey items might not be uh ideal like or, you big. know yeah. right size quote unquote for oh it's not thicker than the thickest part of the snake's body um <laughs> so <laughs> some of these I, rules too i wonder yeah. where like they came so like who silly. came up with this shit yeah. <laughs> ball You're pythons. telling me my snake ball can't pythons, eat man. something smaller. In the wild, the they're going. Wait a second, I have to measure you. Oh, yeah. yeah, nope, bro. You're an bro. eighth of an inch too big. You got to go, buddy. <laughs> You're not hundred walking. I back in the day, back when like YouTube was like you know ten reptile or you know thirty reptile people on it or whatever. I posted a video. I had some extra rats that I'd thought out, and they were like the snakes that were that small didn't want to eat them and so i just had my ball pythons out i was like i'm just gonna go through and feed them i'll do a quick little feeding video and they're all frozen thawed and so i just fed him and it was like a crawler rat or something but it's like a you know an adult ball python and i go through and it, every comment you know 40 50 60 comments of people being like that's not a big enough rat to feed why are you feeding it that and i'm like it's not too big for it to eat like it ate it. It was a small meal. Like I can still feed it something smaller <laughs> than the thickest part of its body. It'll, I yeah. don't, I, I guess I didn't read the rule book. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't but know. You, re you realize like too big is way more of an issue than too small. Too small. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Too small is perfectly be some okay. like 
some like invisible internet fairy or something that just whispers in people's ears that's like comment the dumbest shit you've ever said in your life. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, oh, I, here's a video. Say something real dumb. You know what it is, guy. honestly, uh, and and this takes it out of the realm of reptiles. This takes it like into uh, realm of psychology. But I feel like a lot of people in their everyday life they feel like they don't have a lot of influence. They can't change their fate they can't change the things that happen in their daily life and being able to comment on a youtube video or an instagram reel or a facebook thread makes them feel like they are influencing the world in a way that they can have some control over their life or over somebody else's life throwing those little digital pebbles at people yeah yeah exactly yeah. But, Here, but it's it's just them you know they're feeling like hey i don't really have enough control where i feel like i'm comfortable in what i'm doing in my life and so i need to do something to assert my control over something else that's going on and feel like i'm in control of that and you know at the end of the day, it doesn't bother me because like I've been doing this for so long and on social media and doing reptile stuff for so long that like when people comment stuff like that, I'm just like, okay, like, cool. Yeah, You're not going to tell me, you know, I, like I, I've been keeping tarantulas for my entire life. Basically yeah. my mom had tarantulas before I was born. And so when I was a two year old, I'd walk around with pink toes crawling all over me and stuff. And like, when I was uh, setting up some tarantulas, I had some um, eco earth. I had some uh, jungle mix. I had some cypress mulch. So I just kind of like mixed it all together and made some substrates. And it was going into stuff that was like real heavy webbers. So they're going to web over it anyway. Right, right. And uh, I took some pictures like with my camera. So like real nice close up pictures of the tarantulas when they had just started webbing on stuff. And so many people were just like, oh. cypress mulch on your terrain. Yeah. What is fucking wrong? <laughs> It's gonna die. It's Why don't sharp. You just oh throw it in that. Throw it in that pit from Mortal Kombat on that one yeah. level where everyone falls and hits the spike. All spikes, yeah. yeah. And they're like, it's when it molts, it's gonna get hurt. I'm like, it's a green bottle blue, man. It's not gonna touch anything but web for real. Like, yeah. it's okay. I promise. Yeah, I, I promise. Alpharai colony. I like, I didn't realize the forest floor was just made up of eco earth. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus so Christ. so when i see people that like comment and say stuff like that i'm just like you know what i i see that you need to say you get something. what they're trying to do yeah i get what you're trying to do and you know i'm it, if if i let it get under my skin every time that someone makes a comment like that i would just not i would not be able to survive because no people, dude you can't everyone's got an opinion <laughs> everyone's got an opinion everyone wants to say their little piece and that's fine. I mean, more power to them. And and the people who comment, it creates engagement and other people see your stuff. And then maybe it reaches somebody who needs to know the information that you're doing. Right. Or it was, it, that's like, I posted a video shedding a snake that was, had a little bit stuck shed on it. And everyone's, you're hurting it. You're, and it's a scrub python. So I'm like hand shedding it. And it's, its head is on my, on my hand, like just chilling. And they're like, you're hurting it right now. You're peeling it. And I'm like, let me tell you. If you are hurting a scrub python, <laughs> you're gonna it's, you're its gonna head is not gonna be gently sitting on your hand. It's gonna be yeah. in your hand. Like Yeah. No, and like that, I think that's where like me, like I don't I'm I'm not on social media a lot. I barely have enough time to get in the group chats, let alone deal with bullshit that people want to argue about. You know, I've only had a handful of comments that are like 
that's stupid. That's this. That's that. And I'm like, yeah. everybody's entitled to their own opinion, you know. Yep. Like, have a good day, sir. There's no response in my opinion. Yeah, that's you know, problem. like, and then, but I'm also like, I'm the type of guy that if I see something that I don't agree with, then yeah, unless it's obvious, it's blatant that that's wrong, you know. But if it's something that I've never seen and I don't really know that I agree with it. I ask them, like, hey, what's your experience with this? You know, you keep this tarantula on cypress mulch. How has that worked for you? Like, mm-hmm. a lot a lot of people don't do that. I've heard this. What, what's your experience with it? Because there's all types of stuff out there going back for years and years of, like, don't do this, don't do that. And then somebody does it, and it's fine. So it's I like, you know. The, a lot the, of that is one person has a bad experience, screams it from the rooftops, and then everyone right. else is, like, it all of a sudden becomes, like, a like rule right like pine exactly like stuff on pine and that's the per i was going to use that example like you know everybody was like no pine no pine no pine on colubrids and then i talked to chris montross and he's like dude i've been using pine for the last 20 years like <laughs> no problems whatsoever you know so mm-hmm. it's like there's always those things but it, I didn't jump down Chris Montross's throat and be like, you're wrong. You can't use pine. You know, I, what do you know, Montross? Yeah. I'm like, so why do you use it? And like, what's like, have you had any issues with it? Like, have there been any problems whatsoever? You know, same thing with the mulch on your tarantula. It's like, you don't know until somebody does it and they actually inquire about it. Like, you know, I'm about to start using Cypress mulch on a lot more colubrids. Yeah, that's one thing I'm gonna. I like snipers. Yeah, I think I'm gonna start in applying it to a lot of my stuff, you know, because I like the look of it, I like the feel, and I think I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start using it in a lot more racks and just see how see how it goes, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I, I used pine bark in the um, quarantine stuff just to try it out. I don't love the pine bark because Mm -hmm. water just goes right to the mm-hmm. bottom and it doesn't absorb anything and it is a bitch to clean up if they spill any water you know but i'm i kind of want to get away from aspen because like i don't like because a lot of my snakes spill water you know and yep. i can't and i can't clean it up perfectly every single day like it's just the fact you know i don't always get to it so i'm thinking about switching to cypress so if there is a spill it's not as big of a deal. I don't have to worry about mold. I also want to use Cypress because, like, my room gets – we are a very humid state. South Carolina is very, very humid. Mm-hmm. But my room gets a little dry because of my space heater, and sometimes I get bad sheds from my animals. I'm like, why is this happening? So I'm kind of getting to the point to where, like, yeah, I have humid hides, but I kind of want to axe humid hides – and start using more cypress mulch so while they're in shed i can just give them a spray down, yeah. you know just give them a spray because you realize <clears> it <throat> rains for it real rains here everybody's like oh I, don't spray down your rat snakes why i think about that constantly constantly you know? how we've got exactly. these animals in boxes and they have never felt raindrops on them yes and like you know a lot of the stuff we keep is tropical or at least the stuff that i keep is tropical right. and they would experience that on a very very regular basis it's very yeah. uh and so i exactly like i want to start using a substrate that i can spray down just to <clears throat> emulate some type of rain or a wet period i'm not saying keep your freaking yellow rat in a swamp but i have found lots of yellow rats very close to a swamp 
Yeah. You know, like I live in a swamp. I found a ton of yellow rats right outside of it or even in it, you know? So it's like mm-hmm. one of those things I want a substrate because I'm not going to wet down a bunch of Aspen. No, you know? no so I, <laughs> I want a substrate that I can give them a spray down while they're in a shed and stop using all these humid hides that make a big old mess. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying humid hides are bad. You know, I like mine, but they're just not very convenient especially when they poop in them because when they poop in them i feel obligated to change the entire thing because they're sitting in it and it's a wet substrate See, that's what's so. interesting because now that i think about it with all the stuff that i had human hides with i don't think any of them have ever actually gone in the human hide like actually Dude, gone to the bathroom that you've it. seen oh My... you like poop in it yeah yeah okay. no they're in it all the time but i've yeah. never actually seen one like go to the, i've never had one go to the bathroom in it Dude, hmm. i made Maybe that I'm mistake lucky. i trained I one that. I made that mistake with one of my carpets. So my carpets have humid hides. And I noticed like I hadn't changed the paper on this girl for a while because she hadn't shit. And I was like, what's going on here? And I looked at the humid hide. I was like, I wonder. And I opened up the humid hide. You turned it into a damn nightmare. Sitting in there. And I'm like, well, this is absolutely disgusting. Yeah, Yeah. So, but all, dude, all of my stuff uses their humid hides for a toilet. And I'm like, it's just, it's annoying. I'd rather they use so, a water bowl. I mean, I don't, because for me, I just throw, I, I th- put my water dishes in the dishwasher. They all get new water dishes every week, so that's that's yeah, not a having to replace sphagnum and stuff every time they do it is annoying. Yeah, exactly. that's a waste of money. That's the, exactly that's what I'm saying. So especially if you're using the good stuff. Yeah, it's like because that's the other thing is often as my stuff is in a humid hide, I'm like, kind of seems like they like humidity. So might be worth having a substrate that I can spray <laughs> down, you know, once every two weeks or once a week, you know, to give them that type of a rain feel. So I don't know, man, there's so many things that I'm like, why do we do this? Yeah, like, obviously, some stuff you got to keep them dry. They're a uh, Desert well, what species. are that's, that's one what thing, are but. what's what's your thoughts on the whole like enrichment thing, Rob? Uh, how do you mean? Do you mean like give them a ball to play with, or you mean like actual <laughs> enrichment? Because there's some people who are like, I have to give it a blanket to sleep with, and that's enrichment. And I'm like, I don't. The, yeah, I mean the whole thing. So like, I am not against it, but I think it doesn't have to be the over the top like i'm gonna make um, a room size jungle gym for my corn snake and i'm yeah. just gonna leave it in there for half a day and then come and hunt for it later like to me enrichment can be small like you don't it doesn't require much you don't have to do a whole lot to get the gears turning you know yeah. like sometimes i'll just take some bedding from from one tub and put in another and that snake mm-hmm. will sit there and stare it down and try and figure it out for you know hours yeah, you know, but it's like you see it now, and people think that's like I have to put it in a hamster wheel. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it's not enrichment if it's not on a hamster wheel. Yeah, you got. I can't wait until they start getting those little um, talk buttons, and we can get snakes to press the talk buttons. It's like <laughs> outside, outside, outside. Ball python goes bitch. to the one that says tree, tree, <laughs> tree. <laughs> Wet season. Wet season. <laughs> all joking aside um i think that there are lots of easy ways to do enrichment I, a lot of people um think that enrichment is like 
they think of like primate enrichment where it's like using tools and blah 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 where uh for snakes i think that uh that sort of stuff is not really applicable and then also if you go too extreme with enrichment uh you can cause stress and we don't want to stress our animals out like uh, that none of us wants to stress our animals out except for people who keep cobras they do want to stress themselves out but that's besides the point doing enrichment for your snakes can be as easy as going outside getting some oak leaves or you know any you know non-pine leaves uh getting them putting them on a sheet baking them for five minutes at 300 degrees or whatever don't set your house on fire but you know bake them for a little bit so there's no bugs in them let them dry off or cool off take a handful of leaves pop them in the corner of the enclosure i guarantee you most species of snakes are going to go over it and investigate and check it out and smell it all over up and down turning through those leaves and just checking it out and that is enrichment dump right on it <laughs> probably probably they're like this does not smell <laughs> like home right away. yeah this, this not is not like home. Now. this is this now belongs, my territory to me <laughs> uh so that that is a super easy way for people to uh, be able to do something easy for enrichment that most people have access to you know people in the desert might not be able to do that but Anywhere on the eastern seaboard, you can do that shit. You can still um, take a rock and do the same thing. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Rocks, sticks. Yeah. You can do something all that sort of different. stuff. Something yeah. new. Something novel. Like I like sheds. If you get a yeah. shed, take it from one enclosure, throw it in another one. The only time that you can't really do that is with adult males. You can end up doing some bad stuff. <laughs> I, uh, my male's uh, sarong barnack is a wuss he is the biggest baby on the planet because like he was not breeding with my females like when i was expecting it like he locked up like once and then he was like okay i'm, I'm done that's it i'm i'm not going back to it and i was like i would like to see at least a little more action i want to make sure that this deal is sealed um and so i have a, a big male highland scrub in oxaville and so when he shed i took his shed and just threw it in there. And I was like, oh, he's just going to like smell it. And like, you know, everything will be cool. As the moment that he smelled that other male's skin, he boom, hits the front of the enclosure, takes off running back and forth, back and forth, pressing on the glass, trying to get out, losing his absolute mind. No I had to like take a sheet, put it over the front of the enclosure uh, darken out the whole room and he went on for probably because i had to pull the, the shed out too he went on for probably almost 30 minutes of just him freaking out like losing his mind trying to get away from that that shed and this is this was the second time that i had introduced a, like another male scent with him because when my females are cycling, my male Highland goes crazy. He gets right up to the edge of the enclosure. He's pressing on every corner trying to get out. I can tell exactly when all my females are cycling. Um, right. And so to try and get that other male to breed, like what? So let me take a step back here. Uh, in order to get him to stop being a dink and like, ruining his because he was pressing to the point where he was getting a bump on the front of his nose and i really oh, hate that when they yeah, do that yeah. so what i did is i pulled the female out of her enclosure i set her up in a holding container i opened up his enclosure i opened up her enclosure and he immediately went and started smelling and went right into her enclosure i let him go all the way in there swapped out their water dishes closed him into her enclosure 
put her into his enclosure and left him like that for a week. Um, and it's, he completely stopped pushing after I did that. Wow. I don't know why he, he never experienced the female. He was never with the female, but just being in the area, being able to smell where she was hanging out was enough where he would stop pushing. And so <clears throat> after that, I put them back into their respective enclosures, put their water dishes back to their respective enclosures um, and put the male uh, barnack in with the female barnack. And again, he wasn't really doing anything. And so the male Highlands started pushing again. So I opened up both doors and let him smell inside of the enclosure with the female and the male in it. As soon as that male, the wuss one, smelled that other male in there, he did the same thing where he freaked out, started taking off, running. So now I've got two 11-foot scrubs trying to run across my living room, and I've got to try and wrangle two – well, one scared male and one male that's really interested in breeding – and it was just like, okay, I don't need to do that with him ever again. Yeah. It, it got him to breed, but like, I don't need to do that again. <laughs> but just that, you know, think about uh, if you put it in with a female, you know, a shed from a male in with a female, it can get that interest going. Um, sheds are relatively uh, low risk, in my opinion, as far as, uh, you know, pers- perspective pathogens and stuff, right. as long as it's, as it's dry. Um I would think that it would be a little bit safer than using substrate or stuff, but uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to do enrichment without it being, you know, a hamster wheel or whatever. And I, one real quick, I wanted to hop back. You asked me about feeding large prey items versus small prey items. Yeah, I do most of that. <laughs> I, I do most of my stuff on big prey change? items uh, less frequently. Um, so I'll give them, you know, something good size that leaves a decent size lump in them. Um, but uh caveat to that is during the summertime i will feed them much more frequently uh you know every couple weeks every week or two uh depending on age and all that different factors and stuff so i'll feed everything more heavily during the summertime space it way way back on the on the winter time um to the point where you know maybe once a month Mm-hmm. Right. If if that do you cut um, off food like during breeding season like you know kind of like a carpet would they they're the window for scrubs for me is really small it's literally they start being active in april and they breathe april and may and that's it that's the the only window that i've seen them interested in breeding and i've tried pairing throughout the year multiple females with you know different just trying and seeing where everything's at my window for me how i run things april to may uh as soon as we get into april they start get becoming interested um as soon as the end of may not interested anymore um is that mostly like female female receptive yes yep yep yeah and and then also um scrubs are weird because females will uh can go through their reproductive cycle to the point where most snakes will ovulate like when i was at nerd i had access to a ultrasound and so we would ultrasound ball pythons and monitors and all sorts of stuff and so when i bred janet the last year that i was there and the year before i was ultrasounding her at every point to see where she's at in follicle development and most pythons uh when they reach that like 35 millimeter follicle size they like boom triggers ovulation it's if you see a female at 35 millimeters there's going to be eggs um i ultrasounded her at i think 36 or 37 millimeter follicles so i was like okay deals you know it's sealed i'm gonna see eggs and she reabsorbed and i 
can't tell you how many people who do scrubs that I've spoken to or seen where they get a female, she blows up huge. Like she's loaded full of eggs. feels like she's got these big giant follicles in her and then no eggs. So it seems that between Boland's pythons and scrub pythons, they can go further into their reproductive cycle while still choosing not to ovulate and, um, and not produce eggs where most every other snake you get them at 35 millimeter follicles you're gonna see eggs between the case all the different species that we work with. i there, there's so few people who have bred them what do you i mean you know, what do you think the the why do you think class has become so challenging for for folks i don't think that it's well i, I don't want to say that they are challenging i think that the biggest issue is that there haven't been a lot brought in <clears throat> with um import importation and exportation quotas when stuff is not in demand you guys already know this but i'll explain this for listeners when stuff is not in demand um the quotas get cut down and cut down and cut down and cut down i remember 15 years ago going to a reptile expo and seeing a seven foot long malukan scrub for 350 or 400 dollars and no one would buy it because people were looking at it, they're like that is a big freaking scrub python i am not getting bit by that thing and and it just sat there the whole show i don't even think they sold it at the end of the show mm-hmm. at, at 300 dollars because wild. people were just like too afraid of them right and i think that with the with the shift in how people look at keeping and how people look at big snakes and all this and that. And the, you know, the other thing over the last 10 years, people have been like, I, I can do a, a 10 foot scrub Python that, you know, a lot more people are comfortable with that idea than right. there were back then. And the right. emphasis has shifted from, you know, that was back when ball pythons were just, you know, hitting that crest, getting up to that really popular uh, point. And so I think the deal with Clastolepis is that they were not popular enough. Their numbers for exportation got cut down and cut down and cut down and cut down until it was basically nothing. Mm-hmm. We saw a huge lack of them coming into the country. The people who have got them are not breeding them, <clears throat> either from um, not figuring out the key triggers that they need to or having a bad male or a bad female or whatever that's not even relevant really. Um, but there's not a lot, not a lot of people who have them first off. There's not, there's less people who are successful with breeding them and they're not being imported in, in any sort of numbers where people who are consistently good at breeding things that are tougher are able to have access to them. And the demand is usually has been higher for Barnex and for, you know, I mean, and for Halmaharas for a while and, you know, these other things, and so the numbers were just not coming in. And then now that's just starting to change. But we saw um, Marcel Hawkins was mm-hmm. able to produce a, a clutch of Clastolepis um, a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah, it's been probably so two right, years. Right, right around there. Yep. Um, uh, he was able to produce them. But I don't think that he had those scrubs for like a really long time before he produced them. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I had talked to him a little bit back and forth, uh, back around when he had acquired them. And so my thought process is that if we are able to get more into the U S or, you know, the people who have got them make a more, uh, concerted effort, uh, to breed them, I don't think that they're going to be 
as hard as some of the other species. I think that they're still difficult. Like, don't get me wrong. All scrubs are not easy to breed. You're not going to have someone who has bred, you know, only native snakes and then they get a scrub python and they're going to like do it their first year. It's just, they're not like that. But I think that if there are people who are keyed into uh, some of the more unusual uh, pythons and they're really keyed into their specific animals, I think that they're, they're potentially breedable. I mean, we're going to see because he produced a whole ton of them, you know, a good amount of them. And there's very capable people who have, got some of those babies yeah and so i'm sure in you know four five maybe six years we'll see some people producing them um i'm excited for that point because i really want some but like (laughs) so it is it is what it is i have a theory that i i want your take on now this is just me thinking this isn't i don't say this is fact but i think for a lot of species that people have a hard time breeding, you know, whether it be scrubs, bolins, you know, some, you know, really rare colubrid. I think not, I think part of the problem is they, a lot of people will try something different every single year. And Mm -hmm. I think that causes issues. I think if you look at, you know, if you know the natural history, you know what time they should be breeding, you know, about this and that, you know, whether it be your feeding schedule, when you cool, how long you cool, all that. I think a a problem comes into play when you're doing something different every single year. There's no repetition. It's Mm -hmm. constantly something different. So I think that prolongs the period. I think if you see something that looks valuable like you know you get one copulation you know try that same method for two maybe three years and then if that doesn't work try something different but i think that a lot of issues come into play when you're doing something different every single year it's you're only prolonging the problems you know does that make does that make sense you know what i'm saying Yeah, I think that um, there are people who try a whole bunch of different things. And I think that that can impact how successful you are with your animals. But honestly, what what my thing is, is like, if you've got a rarer species that you're working on, something that's tougher to breed, uh, you know, every person who has Bolin's pythons who is attempting to breed them should have an, their own personal ultrasound. It's 800 bucks. You spent however many thousand dollars on your snake, buy $800 ultrasound, ultrasound your female every three weeks, see where her natural cycle is in your right. room, how you do things. Right. Watch it throughout the year because you've got four years at least until she right. breeds. Just ultrasound or literally it's it's not impossible to do. It's not impossible to learn. Ultrasounds are very accessible now where they were not accessible five or ten years ago. Uh, right. You know, there there's one that we used at Nerd was 800 bucks. So, you know, under $1,000, great ultrasound. See exactly where your female's follicles are at throughout the year. It'll give you a better idea of when you should be engaging and things. And then also watch your males because like i was saying my male island anytime my female as soon as the moment that she started to cycle he started going off 
And I'm keyed into that. I'm watching them. I'm going, okay, look, I see my females naturally start to cycle in April and May. Boom. Second week of April, my male is losing his mind. Huh. I wonder why that could potentially be. Yeah, They're going huh. <laughs> to pick up on that shit way better than we are. So like, who am I to say, oh, well, the breeding season doesn't start for blah, 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 blah. I'm watching my animals and they're saying it's breeding season right now. I need to do something about it. Right. And honestly, for like, like I said, the, the scrubs and the, the bolins and stuff, they can reabsorb much later than a lot of other species can. But for a lot of species, if you can catch your females in the like 20 millimeter to 30 millimeter area and get your males in there in that window, you are going to see really good success. Like I shouldn't say you will really see, but you're much more likely to right, see right. better success rates with your breeding seasons. If you're paying attention to that sort of thing. And with the technology that we have today, it makes it much more easy than how we had it 10 years ago or 20 years right. ago or whatever. And so uh, I think that, there are ways that we can be more efficient about this. Here's the deal. I just said that everyone who's got bullens and people who are breeding scrubs, if they want to be more successful about it, they should buy a ultrasound. I don't have an ultrasound right now. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I just, this, I just produced my second clutch of scrubs and I don't have an ultrasound. I watch, I don't have a huge group of animals. I watch my animals religiously. I let them tell me when things are going to go down. And um, I just know my animals. I've had Janet for, eight years now, nine years, something like that. I've had my Jayapur female that just laid the clutch of eggs. I've had her for four years now. So I've got four years of watching these animals and keying into where they, where they go throughout the year. And so I feel like when I've got a small sample size and I'm able to look at how my animals interact throughout the year, I feel like I'm pretty well tuned into that. But for people who maybe aren't, or they are you know trying things and it's not working that ultrasound is an invaluable tool it's accessible you know i don't get me wrong 800 bucks is still a lot of money it's a lot of money yeah. whatever animals you produce this year invest 800 you have that ultrasound for the next 10 years and you'll have five times more success in your breeding yeah you'll make your money back if that's really the way that you want to look at this or even if you just want to be like i just want to be successful working with this one species it if you've tried things and it doesn't work try something else try right. the ultrasound you know i feel like you're you're saying that people will swap things up every year when they're trying things i think that that could play a potential role but i think that i think that you know Almost every, I think just every species of python has been bred now, right? Like uh, there's been several people who have bred Tracy Eye. Um, mm -hmm. Owen Pelly have been bred over in Australia. Everything's been done, right? So right. there is someone who has done what you're trying to do before. Right. Yeah. No, Find yeah, that I person. Agree. Talk to them. See what the heck they did. Yeah, no, for real. I, I agree. <laughs> you know, I'm more so like went by like, I'm, I'm more so talking like a consistency for yeah. the animal, you know, know where they're from, know the temperatures that they're going to experience, know what they're doing. Don't don't go into it being like, okay, I'm going to try pairing in the winter. Oh, that didn't work. Now I'm going to try pairing in the summer, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. there has to be some type of consistency, there has to be consistency. you know? Yeah, like, because other, otherwise you're just going to fuck everything up. Like, yeah. their, their mind's not going to be right for it, you know? Here's the deal, right? So we're talking about consistency. 
I bred Janet the year that I moved the win- the winter after I moved. So she went from a three foot enclosure that I had at nerd, uh, to down here. I set her up in a four foot enclosure, lots of branches and stuff, you know, uh, completely new enclosure. She was in that enclosure for six months before she started breeding. Nice. And then she laid eggs right after. So she was not even in that enclosure for a full year yeah. when I had, uh, reproduced with her. And then my Jaipura now has been in that enclosure for a year and a half, almost two years when she Did reproduced it- in there. Right. Did everything handle the move overall pretty well? Everything kind of adjust and, and settle in pretty pretty well. Uh, some stuff did, some stuff didn't. Like yeah. it was it was real hit or miss because like some stuff I was like, oh, everything went kind of chill, and then I you know uh, had some stuff just drop out of nowhere, and I'm like, mm. what what the heck? Like yeah. you know, and you know there could be any number of factors that went into that. It could have been stress. It could have been you know any number of things um i think that uh, that moving is something that is incredibly stressful on these animals and and moving them from one environment to another even just the area where i had set things up because like the room that i've got my snakes in right now has got giant bay windows in it and it lets in so much light during the daytime and so they get so much natural photo period even the stuff that's in racks just gets so much light in during the daytime and then they naturally get a ramp down uh, around sunset and that was very different from the place that i was keeping them at when i was living in new hampshire so it's just like little things that can change that can throw them off. And yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Sometimes obviously it can help, you know, it, it, yes. kinda, yeah. it seems like that environment was a lot more ideal for Janet. Absolutely. Being, you know, it was, she was set up correctly. That photo period period probably helped a lot, a lot, you know, and I think being, you know, they come from a tropical environment. I think being, you know, I think, where you are in the U.S. will determine how successful you are with certain things. And I think stuff like scrubs, you know, I think people in the Southeast would be a little bit more successful than people in Wisconsin, you know, yep, like potentially, yeah. a, you know, I'm not saying that's definitely a thing, but, you know, I think it can help. You know, yeah. Like just being in a more natural climate, you know, Air humidity and everything. Right. Yeah. (laughs) If you're not actually, you know, because if I'm in Wisconsin and I'm trying to breed scrubs, I'm going to have a humidifier in the room, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of stuff like that. You know, if you're not dialing in your room to be more natural than being, you know, in in an area that is more natural than, or at least, obviously, this isn't fucking Indonesia, but, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's different, you know. Feels like it. Right. Yeah, some yeah, sometimes right it now. definitely feels like it. <laughs> right now it does, that's for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, sitting right so. on the equator, you're just like sweating your nuts off, like yeah. just dying. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's really why I keep all the stuff I do. Pretty much everything, everything I have except my Texas rats and my fox snakes, and you know some of my pines. Other than that, everything else is southeastern. Yeah, you know, I have New Jersey now, Northerns and I have Black Pines. But I have a know, question for you. Okay. Would you consider setting up an outdoor enclosure to do some of your 
snakes outside, at least for part of the year, do them outside and let them kind of do their thing. I've thought about it. Yes. The only thing that like, (laughs) I would do it part of the year. Yeah. But the reason that I wouldn't do outside normally is because they wouldn't have access to the things they would if they were loose. You know, I, I don't think outdoor enclosures are as black and white. Like, Oh, they're from here. They can live outside. If they're living outside, they have in the wild, they have access to a lot more micro habitats. Yeah. You know, be able to get under this certain set of leaves. They have this, you know, gopher tortoise burrow that they can go into to get cool. If you just have them set up in a cage outside, they don't have access to that stuff and they could potentially just bake when it's 100 degrees because you're not going to, usually, you're not going to find a rat snake just chilling on the blacktop when it's 110 out. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Because they're hot, you know. So, like, part of the year, yeah, no doubt, for sure, I would. But dead summer, absolutely fucking not. Yeah. So, not me. And I've actually thought Why about, not? like, down, down the road, if I can create some type of sunroom mm-hmm. and have screens, then I would be more out to do it, do something more like that and just have, like, more natural airflow through it and kind of just let the temperatures do their thing. I've even thought as going as far as, you know, having, you know, really deep substrate enclosures and then during the winter, leaving everything open, letting that cold air come through and then making burrows underneath that Mm. and then putting like a light heat pad under all of that that, so they can get to, to where like, yeah, it's freezing up here, but they get down to where this heat pad is in this burrow. It's around that 55 heat cable, man. Degree. Yeah. yeah. You know, something like that, you know, to where it's, they have those freezing temperatures up top, but naturally they're underground, you know, and actually make it to where they can get underground in their enclosure. Yeah. So. I've been thinking about it and I'm like, man, I would love to set up some scrubs in an outdoor screened enclosure oh, man, yeah. and just like, you know, you, you don't have to do everything, you know, whatever, like, but I would just love to see a scrub perched up in a, you know, yeah, with a whole bunch of branches in it and stuff. Oh, my man. my thing that makes me think that I might not want to do it is ticks. And, ticks um, and raccoons, man. Raccoons right. are the reason I don't want to do it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, set booby traps around him. Come on, man. Like, <laughs> oh, no, man. I've, I've, spikes a little, you know, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen what they can do to a chicken. Yes. Yeah. That's fair. Like, I mean, a scrub, I wouldn't worry about a raccoon as much. I don't know, man. Because, like, that scrub. The scrub's going to pull the whole raccoon through the screen. <laughs> yeah. The scrub's going to eat that sucker, you know, but like, yeah. something smaller. Nah, man. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, I've been thinking about it recently and I'm like, you know, trying to think of what my ideal reptile room would look like. And I've just like literally today, I was thinking about if I had my scrubs set up with big enclosures around, you know, two walls or something, I would love to be able to have a section of the room that's got big branches across the upper area mm-hmm. um, where, you know, every two weeks I swap which one's out. So it gets to experience the whole room and gets to climb across the branches and pick the area where it wants to hang out and gets, you know, we're just talking about enrichment, being able to choose where it wants to hang out in the room and get to explore a little bit and see all the other enclosures and stuff like that. It's just like, I was thinking about that today and I was like, man, I would love to do something like that in the future. And I think about outdoor enclosures too. Sometimes and I was like, I went to Tom Crutchfield's place and he does just about all of his non-venomous stuff outside. 
and seeing diamond pythons perched up like you know it's 90 degrees out or whatever i think it was it was a cooler day that we were there but they're sitting wide out in the open just perched up and timor pythons perched up yeah and you know just seeing that those creatures just you know people think about diamond pythons they're like oh they're just they need to be cold all the time right you know he's temp gunning them and their bodies are like 100 degrees and they're like still basking i'm like dude that's freaking that's wild and yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I've just been thinking about it recently. And I'm I, I, I just curious what you think. I've thought about it a lot too, but I, for me, it would be more so like put it out in the morning, take it back in at night type yep. of thing. You know? I do Set up like, a mist system on it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That is a very serious concern. That's a, yeah. That's very serious. One. Down here, it's crazy, man. Like oh, New England. New England, you don't really see fire ants yeah, like that. No, but man, no. when I came down here, every they're everywhere. The parking lot at the grocery yeah. store, you're driving down the road, you're looking at a field, and there's just giant mounds of fire ants all over the place. Dude, we had the to, we had some family. This was years ago. We had some family come down from Wisconsin, and you go to Wisconsin, there ain't no such thing as no. fire ants up up nope. there, you know. And we told them we were like, if you step in somewhere and your foot sinks. Move. get out get out of there quick as you can and dude I, it was not even two days i walked out and my cousin's on the ground just freaking out wiping his feet yeah. and i'm like fire ants he's like yeah dude i don't know what to do i was like wash them off my guy like, yeah for real. we've all made that mistake yeah. yeah no there's you know and i don't i'm not gonna say who it is just because i don't know if he wants me sharing this but i have a very good friend of mine who had one of his um monitors outside for a period and um everything was fine as far as temperatures went but he had a raccoon break Uh. the enclosure and actually ripped her a massive gash in her side like dude those things are so stupid strong it's insane yeah that's really don't realize just how how hardcore those things yeah. are and this was like a full-blown monitor like this wasn't a baby this was like a four or five foot animal like Damn. and it ripped a hole in its stomach and like it's I, not even I've from the aspect seen... of like the safety of the animal but more so also a concern that that they would somehow break in and then you now have an area of opportunity for whatever's supposed to, what's whatever's in there getting out yeah, right. yeah, that too. Raccoons, man, they will. Raccoons and fire ants are why I'm. I'm, I'm they can do it. get the raccoons can get into anything, man. Yep. They are they're insane. They can fit their heads through a barrier. They're kind of like snakes, and the fact that if you think, oh, something won't get out of that, they will. <laughs> yeah, they will. They yeah. will. If you even think they might, they probably will. And so it's one of those things. Like that's my biggest thing. That's why, like, I want, I do want to set up an outdoor enclosure one day. Something that experiences like, you know, sun at one point, shade during another. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And like I said, just kind of leave them out for the day to get, you know, good sun, big enclosure, lots of branches, let them, you know, chill, go around, all that. But I could never do it full time, you know, yeah. unless it was completely bricked in, you know, I had walls yeah. all around, <laughs> you know, where nothing can get in, then, you know, maybe. But again, you know, for. You know, in South Florida would be a little different because they don't really get the temperatures that we do during the winter. But like 
if you have that, you have to have some type of warm hide because like mm-hmm. we get we get freezing temperatures and you're in North Carolina. You guys definitely get freezing temperatures. Oh, yeah. So it's like down here, like, yeah, it's not as cold as North Carolina, but we definitely have, you know, a couple days out of the year that it gets to 32 and below, you know, into the teens sometimes. And so it's like one of those things that if they're out there a year, they couldn't be out here year round if they don't have some type of burrow to get warm. And, you know, it's just... You want it's to hear something crap. absolutely insane? I So I work pest control and I go to lots of people's houses all the time. I see lots yeah. of cool reptiles when I'm out there doing things. I went to this house in my town and there was a French drain and I looked down in the French drain and there's a box turtle stuck in this French drain. No way. And it's, it's not in the portion that's like the bucket of the French drain. It's stuck in the tube of the French drain. Oh God. So I go to my van. I, this was last fall. So this was like October or something, September, October. Mm. So I go to my van, I grab the stuff. I pop off the, the screen off the top of it, the, the grate or whatever, pull it off. I go in, I try and grab the box turtle and pull it out, but it's just big enough where the coupling for the tube is like, smaller than the actual tube itself and so the box turtle's shell will not fit out of this tube so i'm like this tube is 60 feet long i'm not pushing it back out the other way so i go to the i go to the homeowner i talk to them hey there's a box turtle in there i'm really concerned about it if you could do something about it you know get it out the guys oh yeah cool thank you for telling me i'll do that put the grate back on okay cool Um, I did not go back to this house again for the winter time, but we had that Arctic blast that I think you guys got to where it was nine degrees for two weeks of below freezing temperatures. Right. I think the warmest it got was like 28 degrees here. It was cold, really cold. Yeah, we got it too. This spring I go back to that same house No, and Dude, if I'm lying, I am dying because I went back there and I was like, I wonder if that dude got that box turtle out. And this is after that Arctic blast that we got, right? I come back to that French drain. I look inside. The box turtle is still in there and the box turtle is still alive in there, bro. I lost my mind. I was (laughs) freaking out, man, because I was just like, I was like, we just had. 10 degree weather and this thing is sitting in water in a tube with no no leaves no nothing protecting it and it survived and what the what was it eating what was it subsisting off of just water and so this was in in early spring late winter and so I went to the dude's wife and I was like, Hey, I brought her out there. I was like, Hey, look, I told your husband about this the last time I was out here in the fall. There's a box turtle trapped in your French drain out here. It has been in here since October. Please do something about it. Like I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not held. I can't be liable to cut this thing out of your drain, but you need to cut it out of your drain. Like it's stuck in there. It's been in there. I talked to your husband about it. Talk to him about it because I told him about it. I went back there, um, three weeks ago and the box turtle was not there. So I don't know if it went further into the drain and died or what the hell happened, but I'm, I've been there a couple times since then. 
and it's not there anymore, but it survived. That's wild. Nine degrees, man. No cover, no leaves in water. How insane deep into the ground was the drain? Because I know exactly what a French drain is. It's like a tube that goes down about. Oh, so it wasn't even far. It was not far. It was like maybe a foot deep, 14 inches deep. Yeah. And then the tube, it was at the bottom. So, <laughs> it's you know, crazy. the top of its shell was maybe seven inches below the surface, if that. Wow. Wild. Absolutely wild. And it survived that. So when we think about, like, how fragile our animals are, man, yeah. I just think about yeah. stuff like that. And I'm like, like, granted, turtles are way more durable than a lot of other, you know, than snakes. Right. But... Arctic blast nine degrees. Like we literally had, you know, sub 10 degree temperatures overnight. And this turtle survived that man. That is absolutely insane that it survived that and was alive and alert. And when I pulled that top off the drain, when I came back in the springtime, it was moving around and looking and it was alert. It was there. I believe it, man. I think if anything would survive something like that, it's a box turtle. You know, because that sucker probably closed up in its shell, you know, got nice and tight in there. And, you know, it almost works as like an insulation to shut itself down, just like shut down and, you know, rock rock and roll, baby. You know, yep. That's crazy, man. I I absolutely love box turtles. They're some of my favorite. It's been a trip, man, because in New England, they're endangered. So I had never found one until I moved down here. And then now I see them like once a week, like they're all yeah. over the freaking oh, really? place. They're every, Dude, everywhere, I, man. I got to send you pictures of the ones. So like we had Jack Oliver on and we were talking turtles the entire time. And yeah. you know, I had just talked about like, oh, I haven't seen a box turtle in, you know, two, three years, you know, like it's been a while. I hadn't seen one in a long time. The day after our episode, I found a box <laughs> turtle on a job site that I was walking. I was doing an initial inspection on a job that hadn't started yet. There was a box turtle within the silt fence. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, this thing, like, was almost hypo. Like, Damn. it had no pattern on it, but it was the brightest orange. Like, yeah, we get I've, some screamers here, man. I've ever Dude. seen, man. Its face, like, I never, I couldn't get a picture of its face. But its face was like almost a cream color with the orange patterns on its head. And like it was the craziest looking box turtle I've ever seen. Like what part of ever. what part of town was it? That was down Kalawasi Drive. Okay. It was in Hay you know Hayward Point. Yeah. Yep. It was in Hayward Point. Um so it's Okatee. Ha <laughs> 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 Okatee. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that was, that was super cool. Um, yeah, dude, I love boxers. They're, they're a neat animal, man. Yeah, And it's funny. Sure. So I actually brought it outside. I took it outside of the silt fence cause they're about to go clear the lot. And I was like, this thing's going to get crushed. So I mm-hmm. brought it outside of the silt fence and I walked the site to, you know, check all the silt fence out. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go back over there and find it and see if its head's poking out. Cause I really wanted a picture of its face. Mm-hmm. I went back to where I found it or where I put it. It was gone. Gone. I was like, where the hell is this thing? Kept looking <laughs> around, looking around. I finally found it again. It had already buried itself under the pine straw. I barely Damn. saw any of it poking yep. out of the pine straw, but completely buried itself under the straw. 
could not find it anywhere. I just happened to see it at this perfect angle to where I saw under the pine straw and got a bit of it. It was great. And that was in like five minutes. Damn. Yeah. Like it had done all that. Like ecologically, like one of the coolest species, I think, of yeah. in the in North America. Yeah. You know, no without doubt. a doubt. Just such a such a cool species. I love finding them. You know, it's I don't see too many such here. I found a found time. a handful semi recently within the last couple months you know here and it's just such a cool such a cool species you know light rain man if you go out when there's a light rain going they're mm -hmm. book they're booking man uh, across the roads moving yeah, around yeah. i don't know what it is but like they're there's one that lives on my think, road man. dude they can boogie <laughs> they can boogie man it's yeah. it's pretty cool oh man i wish we were already at our two hour mark but we gotta get you back on and talk some herping man because you've done a whole lot more of that recently since you've been in the southeast and i, I wanted to uh i meant to get into that a little bit before uh before the end of the show but that's okay yeah right now like we are in what is it the second week of july almost th third week of july um, right now is baby lizard hatching season because this week I've seen 20 little five line skinks that are an inch oh, yeah, and a half dude. long with this neon tail. And dude, it's so weird because what they do is when they see that you're looking at them, they walk with their legs low, but they lift their tail up in the air, like point their tail up and mm -hmm. then wag their tail back and forth. I've never freaking yeah. seen that before. It is so cool. Yeah. And today I saw baby anoles too. So I was just like, man, it's, it's hatching time right now. I've been seeing a ton of adults recently too, man. Like mm -hmm. because we have a ton of them. Do y'all have broadheads up there? Yes. Yes. Dude, I have been seeing so many broadheads recently. Like, I don't know what it is. I hear them on the silk fence all the time. Whenever I'm on job, I hear just yep. like running across the side because they'll hide up kind of like if the top of it's down it'll make like a flap and they hide in those mm -hmm. flaps of the silt fence and um i see them around my house all the time there's knolls everywhere but i'll be damned if i can't find a snake right now it's <laughs> last it's year i saw one broadhead and then this year i've seen like 30 of them i don't oh. know what it is about this year but there's broadheads everywhere right now awesome. there's a little group that lives in this pile of sticks i have next to my car so every day when i get home and i hop out i hear the female <laughs> scurry away sometimes i'll see her basking but it's always it's funny because like they get their little like areas man and yeah like, they're always there hanging out there's a group that lives in this this like half dead tree in my backyard too there's like a male and like three females and all you know it's fun to go back there and watch them sometimes because they'll just be chasing each other around and you know they're they're funny to watch i can't wait until someone sorry i one little thing i can't wait till someone uh gets a breeding colony or several breeding colonies of broadheads and five lines and selectively breeds for adult <laughs> five lines that have got neon blue tails and yeah. then broadheads that have got a neon red head that goes down yeah. to their body i'm just waiting because in europe i bet you they would lose their fucking minds for these freaking yeah, skinks because they got these neon blue tails and they're just cool as shit they're active and interactive so i like... can't believe nobody's really done anything with them my buddy i have a buddy that's like yeah dude you want to you want to catch me some broadheads i'm like you can come see me and try but yeah for real. <laughs> good luck my guy those things are they hurt fast. they hurt yeah they're and they, if they latch on to you boy you're they, they got some jaws on them yeah. But before we before we end the end the show, what's like since you've been down here and you've really experienced southeast herping, what's been like your favorite species to 
find in your area. You know, I've seen you've been getting out a lot. You see a lot of black rats. And you, you've yeah. really got to find the queen snakes. Um, yes. So, but like, what's been your favorite species that you found since being down this way? Um, I think that the first time that we found queen snakes was really exciting. Same thing yeah. with the rough green snakes. Just oh, like yeah, anytime dude. I see a green snake, I'm like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> I was going to walk right by that thing. Like, yeah, it's just... I get super hyped about those. Those are just really rare. The green snakes are really hard to find in New England. So they're they're really hard to find here, man. Yeah, like, yeah. You gotta, you're, you're lucky to find one. But I think sure. that and my it's favorite not because they're rare. No, no. no. <laughs> no. I I think that my favorite thing to see is um probably copperheads. Honestly, like. I just oh, love copperheads, man. man. They're just iconic to me. They're yeah. they, they're so rare in New England, and I was very lucky to have known of areas where I could go and see them in New England. And so, it, that was the first venomous snake that I saw in the wild. So it's just like something that holds a real special place in my heart yeah. for me. And anytime that I see one, I just get super hyped about it because I just I just they're all unique. They all are super pretty. I. I'm not good at road cruising. So like anytime I find them, I'm just like super high jazzed about it. Road, <laughs> Dude, Road cruising, baby. Here's, here's the deal. Road cruising doesn't exist in new England. You can't find snakes on the roads or yeah. if you can, I don't know how to freaking do it. So I know really well what a copperhead or what a snake looks like when I'm walking. It can be underneath a pile of brush and I'll be like, oh, I saw a little coil right there. There's a snake right there. I'm excellent at that. When I am driving, I have driven past big copperheads in the road and I was like, I think that was a snake maybe. And I like (laughs) turn around and there's this giant copperhead in the road. I'm like, damn, that was a snake. How did I not realize that that was a snake right there? Dude, I've I, and see, I'm kind of the. I'm not gonna say I'm the opposite because I'm really good at you know spotting stuff you know in the brush. But man, I've gotten to where I can spot. Like I spotted a pine wood snake on the road that was about that big, bro. And like I was with a buddy and I saw it. And I whipped over. I was like, "That was a snake." He goes, "Dude, bullshit! That was not a snake." I got out. Sure enough, dude, little pine wood sitting right dude. there, and I was like snake and then i looked up the road i was like another one he goes where i'm like right there i ran up it was an earth snake about the same about the same size literally you know 10 yards in front of it he was like them you're really good at this i was like you need to to come down here man jake will put you on anything you want to find i've heard that he's good at putting people on things so (laughs) y'all are gonna just kill me with that <laughs> i never said any such thing i well, promised gators and probably copperheads <laughs> okay is copperheads is worth it for me i i i have not found a rattlesnake since i moved down here and i just happen to live in the part of north carolina where like rattlesnakes if you look at their distribution it dips right around raleigh and durham like mm-hmm. there's there's none around yeah. raleigh and durham and then like everywhere else in north carolina almost you get them so i i have to drive like an hour in any direction to see timbers and i just have not targeted them or really put in the time to find them i've just been very content finding the stuff that i'm finding currently i mean you can always drive like four to six hours and see some of the prettiest cane breaks that you'll ever see I... in freaking life <sighs> here's the deal we're, we're gonna talk <laughs> about that because i've i've uh only seen timbers in new england 
and uh i've not found i found pygmies when we went to uh, daytona last year um but i've not found canebrakes or i haven't found any rattlesnakes since i moved at all so i need to see some it's got to happen Dude, we have the prettiest canebrakes you will ever see in your life baby they got like, like that the... pink stripe down the back dude i found oh. well ours don't get we get some with the pinks a lot of ours get more orange like mm. i found out to shoot you a picture of the prettiest and one of the biggest i've ever found this thing was like five foot long damn about as big around almost as big around as a soda can and it had a perfect orange stripe down its entire back the thing was Ooh. like this blondish white color like dude mm. it's it stretched across the entirety of a dirt road like it was just this beautiful beautiful specimen Damn. and those are some of my favorite things to find. i love finding cane breaks dude um god i freaking love those things i found more on my one wma than anywhere else i found several out there um That's and awesome. it's funny because i found some that like to somebody who's used to seeing timbers wherever you want to draw the line between timber and cambrake, whatever. Um, but to somebody who's used to seeing timbers, they would look at one I found on the same WMA and said, that's a timber thing had a black tail. It was super dark, you know, and then, and, you know, across the other side of the WMA, this really light, perfect orange stripe. And then Damn. in the, actually the same spot that I found that really dark one, I found a baby when Ben frame came down and it was like 55 degrees when he came uh, we found a baby that had the same thing. It was super light, had a perfect orange stripe down its back. You know, it only had a button for a rattle, you know. Mm. Just, oh, dude, I love Arcane Breaks, man. Yeah. God, I love them so much. <laughs> but, dude, hell yes. Hell you gotta, yes, you I'm gotta so come, down. You got to come visit, man. I'll, I'll put you on a puff adder. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I see all, yeah. every time somebody herps with me, I'm like, look. You'll see gators. I can take you a spot to see gators. Anything else is up in the air. That's, yeah. I don't care what anybody else has said. Those words that I'll put you on something have never come from my mouth. <laughs> <But, laughs> yeah, I got all. one spot that's like consistent for queen snakes and northern water snakes and uh, midland water snakes. And usually we see a good amount of turtles and like we'll see DKs and stuff there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, 50-50 on black rat snakes. But that's one sp spot where I go to where I know if we go there, we will see snakes in the first minute right. of being oh, there. Dude. And see, um, I want to come to you and find Northerns and Midlands. When we were in Georgia, we found one Midlands and Skylar found it sitting up like eye level in a tree and he snatched it out and... I was geeking over that freaking snake, man. I was so Bro. excited. But, man, I want to see more Midlands. I want to see more Northerns because, God. They are tight. Oh, I love those the, things, man. The Northerns down here are not as pretty as the ones in New Hampshire or Massachusetts. Oh, dude, yeah. But... I mean, those are, those are next to none, dude. Like, yeah. those, are, those are by <laughs> far the prettiest Northerns that you'll ever see. But, yeah, they are. They're nice, man. All we get here is we get bandits and we get red bellies. Mm -hmm. or plain bellies whatever the hell you want to call them i call them red <laughs> bellies down here you know i found some that were like you know kind of dull but kind of red and then i found mm -hmm. some that were like this bright like red orange kind of look to them and then we get your classic bandits but even our bandits are really really variable here hell yeah um, they're awesome i love water snakes 
Dude, that's nerd. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't consider water snakes bycatch. I will take a header into a swamp to catch a water snake if I have to. But I, I freaking love those snakes, man. Nothing. Well, two snakes I will never get tired of finding are yellow rat snakes, water snakes. Mm. Bar none. Everything else is just a pleasure to see because I don't see them often. But yellow rats and water snakes geek every time. Hell every yeah. single time. That's where it's but at, man. You just, just got to do what it excites you. That's all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. That's why I have like eight different locality yellow rats in my collection now. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, it's Dude, hell yeah. I love it. But so we're at. 218 where can people find you if they've been living under a rock yeah if you if you don't follow me you can check me out on instagram at rob is creeping it real um i post mostly on instagram i do some stuff on facebook not really i kind of like i got a thousand friend requests in queue right now on facebook so i just i don't really add people on there because like i share a lot of my like regular life thoughts on there i mean i still do post a lot of snake stuff but like a lot of this stuff is just like you know random and i feel like i got a pretty good community of people on facebook that's like yeah you know i can talk to them about personal stuff um if people are just interested in the reptile stuff check me out on instagram uh i had a threads i i don't know why i got threads because i didn't use twitter so it just doesn't make sense to me i I can't understand it twitter never made sense (laughs) to me because it's like you have to be there when it's posted or if you don't get it right in that moment it's not relevant anymore and i'm like i can't be on on something like that but i I post on instagram people can check it out rob is creeping a real i do same thing on tiktok i post things when i think it's interesting um but yeah, just just those two places, TikTok and Instagram, if you want to see any of the reptile stuff. And do not add me on Facebook. I probably won't add you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got you on Facebook, so I feel I, hey. I feel I feel special. <laughs> I, I scour people's profiles when they send me a friend oh, yeah. request to see if there's anything questionable. If there's anything questionable, yeah. I'm like, you can just sit in the queue. I'm not I'm not about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then obviously check out Rob's podcast, Reptile Talk. Yes. Um, thank you. I can't believe Jeremy. I forgot to plug that yeah me and, <laughs> me and jeremy are gonna have uh steven kush and desiree on uh nice. to talk about scrubs next i think it's thursday next thursday or wednesday i can't remember i'm pretty sure it's thursday we're gonna be on there talking to them about scrub pythons i'm super hyped about it uh steven has been now the most successful breeding person breeding scrub pythons since david means and he got a bunch of his stuff from david means so yeah. i'm sure we're gonna talk about that uh and just you know, if you're interested in scrub pythons, make sure you check that out. Uh, check out the reptile talk podcast with me and Jeremy. We got lots of cool episodes up there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it is what it yeah. is. I, I appreciate you guys for having me on. It's yeah, been, man. it's been tight. And I've been, we, I've been wanting to get you on for a long time now. So I'm glad we schedules finally, finally worked out. Yeah. I'm a slippery yeah. eel. Phil's, so Phil's going to be jealous. Phil's he sent me a message that he was, he was crying. So I, I got to get an episode in with yeah. Phil at some point too because i love that dude he's he's amazing dude it was so funny i saw because like we have a group chat with me robin smitty and rob just basically sends us funny reels all the time yes and um (laughs) and weird snake stuff yeah you sent the thing about being a slippery eel earlier earlier and i was like what the hell does this mean and then i listened to snakes and stogies today and i was like oh (laughs) (laughs) now i get it 
Yeah. I was yeah. just like, that was funny. So I just, yeah, no, it was good. So definitely glad we did this. We'll have to get Jeremy on at some point. Yeah. Too, get an update from him. Dude, it's so funny thinking about Jeremy. I remember watching him on YouTube when I was like, <laughs> you yeah. know and then it's like he's kind of a friend now and it's like kind of weird <laughs> like, yeah. yeah obviously i love jeremy but i just think it's all funny that like looking at old hognose you know colubrid videos back when i didn't even keep snakes i remember seeing his collection and you know him like posting videos and stuff and now it's like i know him yeah it's just it's, it's weird man but yeah jeremy's an for awesome real. guy I'm going to flip flip the script a little bit, but I want to real quick, if we can, I want to know what has got you guys excited about reptiles right now? Because I asked that on my podcast. All <laughs> well, the time this isn't your podcast. Bro. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let me go ahead. Rhino rats. Yeah. Yeah. Jansen. I. Um, I mean, Ganya Soman in general, it seems like, uh, you know, there's the the black chance and I right now are super popular and super expensive. They're cool. I saw I that. I was like, what I the don't. Fuck? <laughs> I I think it's. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm excited because there's there's a lot of Ganyasoma coming in right now. I mean, it's cool yeah. that people are interested. I mean, it's also kind of sucks because a majority of those are probably not going to last very long. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, rhino rats, uh, corns just stuff i don't i mean i don't know there's nothing really like outside of sort of what we're doing and what i got going on in my room right now that that i'm really got you jazz fulvius yeah. apparel is what you yeah. got jazz yeah yeah working on the shirt stuff hell yeah, yeah. that's been that's been fun yeah. hell yeah man uh for me it's i mean <laughs> everything man you know I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I can't really pinpoint anything but i'm i'm really just like the last several months i've been super just high on the hobby and the podcast and mostly because like you know getting into the locality colubrid side of things has really just ignited so much in me and then having all these like i said i have like eight different localities of just yellow rats. And I don't know why that just gets me so freaking excited, but it does, you know, and I've still got, I've got new localities coming in, come Daytona. I've already got some stuff lined up to, you know, that's being brought to me and I'm just, you know, the locality stuff and everything I've got in this room right now is just has me just, I'm so excited for Hell yeah. all of it. I just hatched out my first Colubrids, you know, my Santa Rosa, county white oaks just hatched and um i'm just i'm so high on all of it man you know i've got new i just added two new localities of yellows you know the other month and just you know they're still in quarantine and i got some new i got a different county of glade of everglades rats in you know i'm a part of the amel project now and oh damn you know so i've got amel glades here from glades county um and just just everything man i'm i'm so excited for all of it the locality stuff has just really got me going and then just line breeding within the localities as well you know i'm doing trying to do some stuff with the seminal yellows and got a really cool project in mind with those and you know just 
That's where it's at, man. And the fact that I have all the stuff that used to be obsoleta just makes me so happy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I've got Texas rats. I've got yellows. I've got blacks. I've got grays. And, you know, a couple different of all of them, except for blacks. I only have the Spartanburg County black rats. But those are, you know, yellows are where my heart is. And just having all the stuff that I've got now is just just makes me so happy fills me with nothing but joy that's (laughs) that's what it's all about yeah that's why you know it's just keep what you love man you know and that's really what i'm doing now is the only way to do it man that's the the only way to do it i'm looking at all the stuff that i got i'm like things are going to change when when i can upgrade a little bit but yeah because everybody sees everybody sees all these rat snakes i have and you know, it's a lot of people consider them, you know, dirt snakes, you know, but the people that really love them, really love them. And yep. I'm 100% one of those people, you know, I just, I love the locality aspect, you know, and I love herping. So it's just all of it, man. Nothing just, doesn't excite me about it right now. <laughs> yeah. all, it all comes together and that's yeah. what makes it worth it, man. Yeah. Being able to, you know, and going to Georgia and actually finding a black rat just gave me like a whole new perspective you know because i grew up catching yellows so that's why yellows are really where i'm at but like actually catching a different color phase of you know these obsolete rats was awesome so now i gotta go mm-hmm. find gray rats wherever i can find those and yeah so dude just, that's where it's at fuck yeah about all of it, man. So, dude thank you guys so much for having me on man yeah, man thank you for coming on i really appreciate it like i said it's been a long time coming so Good conversation. Good conversation. Absolutely. Well, we'll be back Monday for Snakes and Stogies. Uh, I don't remember which number. I think 167, maybe 170. Uh, But this episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Get yourself a rack, get yourself a cage. Use code THN at checkout, save yourself a little bit of money. Then hop over to stevesnakesbury.com, get the full lineup of Venom Hot Sauce. You will not regret it. And then hop over to fulviusapparel.com, get yourself a shirt. I just made the discount code THN Live. That's right. Save yourself some uh, save yourself some money on that order. 15% off just for THN listeners uh, as a thank you. So Hell yeah. We'll be seeing everybody on Monday. Thank you all. Have a good evening.